Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. stakes episode 11 i'm your host neil orfield and my guest today is the number one ranked heavyweight player in the world according to the rotor granders rankings uh that means he's the number one player spending an average of 20 dollars to 49.99 uh per entry currently in the world uh he's also somebody you know pretty well probably if you uh pay a lot of attention to awesome content he's doing content all the time he's in the discords uh he's a fan favorite he's one of the best nba dfs players in the world uh and he's a friend of mine who i got to meet this year in arizona at a live final Rinpak, how are you doing doing well excited to be joining you on your high stakes series you've done a phenomenal job and more importantly uh happy to share my insight and uh talk about my journey here yeah thank you for coming on i'm, I'm excited to have you on uh we, we had a good time we spent a lot of time talking about dfs in arizona so uh, we can continue that conversation in front of everybody else here uh, let's jump right in Let, let's talk about your background a little bit because a lot of people probably don't know your background um let's start with your background just in uh fields that are relevant to dfs and then maybe we can talk more generally uh first of all do you have a background in statistics do you have formal or informal training uh, yeah, I took uh, statistics in college, I took a course in college. Uh, so that's the, uh, I guess, formal training. My background, I guess, is a, I'm, my background is DFS. I don't come from poker. I don't come from investment banking. I don't come from accounting. I'm a straight up, uh, whatever I've learned from DFS is playing DFS, anything game theory oriented. It has been all daily fantasy sports from 2015 onwards. The last time I took a math class was differential equations when I was a senior in high school. So I was always pretty solid at math. I was pretty uh, two or three years ahead uh, in math when I was in high school. I didn't need to take math in undergrad when I was in school. So uh, it just because uh, of my major at the time and what I was pursuing, I didn't need math as much. So I pretty much fulfilled my math requirement. Looking back at it, I wish I took more math just because it probably would have advanced maybe 
accelerated my success in DFS. Who knows? It's uh, hindsight 2020, but that is my background. You just slid into that you were two to three years ahead in math growing up. I mean, I was I was in the AP math classes, so I like I thought I was pretty good. You know, not I was never really interested in it, but I was like pretty good at it naturally. And then I stopped doing it as soon as I possibly could. I was not uh, two to three years ahead though. Were you uh, Were you taking classes like with older kids, or were there other people in your classes yeah. that were your same age? Yeah, I think my senior my senior year, I was taking classes at the community college just to get college credit. Uh, but I, I did take all those AP requirements, AP statistics, and I was always pretty quick with math and understanding it. It made a lot of sense to me. Uh, being an immigrant family, math is something that is pretty uh, not forced onto. It's meant to be a backbone of your academic success and studies. So math it was always something that I was really good at. I've always gotten A's in math. There's nothing else besides that. But um, that success probably has helped to translate in DFS, just being able to quick think on your feet. And I, I do think it has paid off over time for sure. Yeah, so I was going to ask, because I, I feel like that is an important trait in DFS is just having general uh, understanding, general concepts of math, like probabilities and things. A lot of people really struggle with probabilities and why don't you just play the team that is you know the highest projected why do you factor in ownership that kind of stuff and I think that really understanding uh probabilities has helped me at least in in my game a lot and it sounds like it's probably something that is helping you as well if, if these are things that come naturally to you um do, do you also do you have any uh background in computer programming yeah so I went back to grad school uh between uh, 2019 to 2021 I went back to Michigan for grad school, I got my master's in health informatics, where it's kind of a hybrid between the School of Information and Public Health and Medicine, where I learned a lot of more data analysis, uh, some very early basic stage pro programming, uh, which has helped a little bit, but I haven't fully been able to maximize it into my DFS process. I just wanted to be able to quickly analyze data using different software programs, that being R or Python, a little bit of SQL, but nothing too extravagant where I don't think I can use it to a point where I can automate my process yet, uh, which would be awesome. But my process does require a lot of manual legwork. So my own intuition is into uh, the process I build in day in and day out playing DFS. But I do have very, very limited uh, programming uh, okay. background. So you say that it's not really a part of your process. And we'll get into your process a little bit more, too. But I'm just curious. So uh, are you using it then to like back test how you're doing and stuff and like looking at slates in the past or is it something you're just not really incorporated into your dfs much at all at this point i'm not really that much at all it's just simple if i need to get some data and look at it real quick i would but i'm not it, i really don't use it much for dfs i wanted to uh i thought there was a pathway to do it i just think there are great tools out there that where you it will do the legwork for you and it's pretty good uh the only difference is if you were to build your own things in your own program you probably could get it more efficient and more up to speed to what you want. Uh, right. But there are some great customizable tools available to any customer, any user, or any player out there. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and, and as far as, it, so, so you say your whole background is DFS. You are, uh, I was just telling you before the show, I think you're probably the youngest person I've had on as a guest. You're, you're still, what are you, 28? Uh, not yet. I will be. Uh, not yet 28. Yeah. yeah. So, so your whole background is in DFS. Uh, and you've been crushing it for at least a few years now. So it seems like you've been playing since you know you're you're pretty young uh, let, let's start with your, your background in dfs approximately when did you start getting involved and what drew you in i can tell you exactly when i started getting involved so it was my the summer between my junior and senior year in undergrad at michigan i was studying for the mcat the uh exam to get uh, applied to medical school and 
I was just uh, finding uh, reasons to distract myself while studying for probably the most important exam at the time I was taking. And I went, I heard some ad about fantasy sports. And this was something that I've always played fantasy sports all dating back to like 2006, like Yahoo season long leagues, always been very interested in statistics. I would get the Sunday newspaper, read up the box scores when I was a kid. It's something that I've always enjoyed doing sports numbers and just knowing what was happening in the sports world. It's, it was like always been a passion of mine. I never really liked reading novels or books. I enjoyed reading ESPN magazine. I enjoyed reading Sports Illustrated magazine. So sports was always something that I always really was uh, very interested in and just knowing. So when I heard the ad, I was like, oh, I know this pretty well. I've been playing fantasy season long leagues of free leagues for a long time and was doing all right with them. I remember in 2006, I played like some of the free leagues. I came third out of 12th and I was thrilled. I was in the sixth grade. I was like, oh, I know, I know my stuff. Uh, but Little did I know that like little things I learned there would help me out years down the line. So I heard the ad on a podcast I was listening to. I was like, oh, let me try this out. At the time, I believe there was great deposit offers, but when you're an undergrad college student, you don't have much uh, money to spend on leisure stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'll deposit five bucks and see how it goes. And I did get some success right off the bat in 2015. And that uh, probably did derail my MCAT studies and my medical school uh, pursuit. Uh, pursuit where I believe in the second week, I was so thrilled that I turned a dollar into a hundred dollars where I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to get all my uh, buddies drinks at the bar. This is going to be a great time. And uh, I've been playing ever since then. And uh, it's been a fun ride, but the success wasn't there right off the bat. I definitely did struggle for about two or three years. I did not have a, I think my first five figure win came four years after I started playing. So I definitely went through the trials and tribulations of being a novice DFS player. So did you have any, any losing seasons right away? Like when you started, when I started, I've never, I've always had a 1099 since I've started. So, okay. Uh, that's, uh, so I you never, had some success right away. I mean, you, you, you yeah. were playing lower volume. So even if you, you know, by your standards now, you weren't a ma majorly successful player, but you were a winning player, which is, you know, it's not the majority of players. The majority of players are not winning money. You were at least winning money right away. Um, that's, I, I had, at least one or two losing seasons. I mean, when, when I started, I think I started off with a couple of losing seasons and then had another one maybe five years ago. So uh, doing better than me in that front. Um, but so it sounds like you started, uh, you're probably right around 2015. You said you heard an ad and I, I'm reading with Dueling with Kings right now and kind of reading about the backstory. And I didn't remember that there were like DraftKings ads every other minute on TV uh, in, in commercials at the time. Uh, was it kind of that timeline where, where it was they were really ramping up DFS DraftKings and FanDuel competing for market share and both having uh, commercials all the time do you, do you recall that yeah yeah it was 2015 uh, the 2015 summer so this is leading up to a few months leading up to Ethan Gate which is I think 26 uh, 2015 fall so yes uh, the ads everywhere nonstop. I didn't have enough money to take advantage of those deposit offers looking back at it so and I just didn't really use any uh, anyone's insight or uh, projections or anything. I was just hand building lineups on my phone, uh, just building lineups away on my phone. And uh, it was, that's all I was doing on it was MLB season. So uh, there was a different scoring back in the day. You would get penalized for outs. A lot has changed in terms of scoring since then. And I, I just was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then uh, what do I was like, all right, I didn't play much volume till like I needed to go to my senior year spring break where I was like, I need some extra cash. So I started playing a little bit more volume and then 
Uh, one of the good success stories was, I guess, spring break of senior is like, I forget how much it was. Maybe I needed like $500 or something. I covered it in two nights of playing. I was like, all right, this is great. I can go to spring break. So I wasn't playing like every day. I was playing like whenever I could because of school and everything. And uh, that's the success I had then. And then I um, uh, had a job after school. I wanted to pursue medical school. So I worked in the OR, uh, in the operating room, where I was just, uh, working with an uh, I was helping, uh, I was like a neurophysiologist was the official name, but I was not an MD, obviously, but I was helping surgeons monitor like motor potential, somatosensory book potentials during like brain and uh, spine surgery. And like, essentially there were times where I'm not going to lie, I, I might've hand built a lineup when uh, there was a little surgery action happening when things were a little low. <laughs> oh, so no, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so uh, just getting back to, so you started with baseball. Is that did I hear that right? You, you first were, and were you playing cash games at the time or was it, were you already playing GPPs and winning? I would uh, build one lineup. I was a one lineup guy for many, many years. Uh, I would throw it in 50 fifties. And when I first started playing, I'm, I could you not uh, the first couple months until like took about seven or eight months where I was playing like single dollar, like five, $6 a night. Uh, and that okay. my bankroll was essentially whatever I had in my bank account as a college kid It's not many, not much, maybe, less than a thousand dollars at the time. You just don't have much on you. I mean, I, I remember. <laughs> yeah. So. so, so how many people had to die for you to get your lineups in to be able to go for spring break? You know, while, while you were supposed to be watching their surgeries, you're making lineups. So spring you lose break, three or four. Uh, so no, that uh, spring break was before I started working in the OR. So I oh, started okay. working in the OR that following fall. No, no one died. No one died. Don't get right, me wrong. Right. I really enjoyed my experience in the OR. It was probably the best decision I did at the time to understand if I was ready for medical school. And I wasn't, uh, surgeons were cut out, uh, from a different cloth than I was. I was also, it was a tough, uh, tough thing for me to blend in. I was probably the youngest in the room by 20 years. I really, uh, you really have to earn everyone's respect in that room. And maybe it wasn't the best, like, uh, immediate uh, environment to be in fresh out of school. And it was not a regular nine to five job. It was like a, I wake up at 5 AM, 5 AM drive to the hospital and I'm coming home around 8 a.m. just bounce around hospital. So it was really grueling and probably for the better, it didn't work out. And, and I wanted to put myself in the highest of stakes, no pun intended, uh, being in the OR in the medical field is probably the OR. And I learned a lot. It was a great, real awesome exposure. One of the coolest things I did see was an awake craniotomy. Uh, and I was like, oh, there's some doctors who have worked in the profession for many, many years, like decades who haven't seen one. I think I saw two during my time, two or three. Uh, can you tell me what that is? <laughs> So an awake craniotomy, no lineups were built during these, but right. uh, the person's awake while they're getting uh, surgery done with their brain exposed. Wow. Okay. So they, just, they can't be put under for this surgery? No, because they have to monitor certain senses and sensory okay. uh, to make sure everything is going right. So you'll see, uh, I'm sure you can see this on YouTube. There's, uh, they'll have like PowerPoint presentations, making sure they can notice what's coming up on the PowerPoint presentation. So little things like that uh, were really eye-opening. And I luckily, I'm still in the training phase, I had a preceptor who was guiding me through it, but I was like blown away by that. And then it was like quickly, I was like, yeah, I'm not really cut out for this. Uh, I did really want to be a surgeon if I did go to medical school and just wasn't meant to be. Uh, okay. And it's just one of those things where you look back and I was like, maybe for the better and didn't work out. My parents obviously were really uh, upset and devastated being an only child, but uh, we've worked it out since then. All right. So, so you started DFS, uh, you did a little stint in the OR and this is still like your, your second year in DFS. So you still haven't had any like five figure wins yet. You, Cause you said you didn't have any until your, uh, 
until about four years in. Um, so, so tell me about the progression from there. So you, you were successful. I mean, you say you weren't successful right away, but you were a winning player right away. You're getting 1099. So that's at least $600 one. Um, so you were at least having some success at this point. Were you moving into DFS as a profession? Like, was it after the OR stint, was this like your primary source of income? Yeah, I, I definitely explored some other uh, uh, avenues. I did teach kids at night at a teaching center uh, just to get some income living in Chicago. I had some buddies who were very kind. Where uh, I, When I first moved to Chicago, I, you're living check to check, living in a big city. And I, some of the friends who I moved in with were my roommates from college. And they were like, uh, can you just stay with us? Because we were all really close and we were like young kids. So we like set up like a living arrangement in the living room as ridiculous as this sounds, but I think like a Manhattan style living room style where you got like a bed in the living room and just like sharing space there. But that was probably the greatest like experience just to like be with my friends. And like, it was like another years of college, but so luckily rent wasn't as high for me. So I could use some money playing DFS. And I did struggle for a little bit. It was like a, by, by getting a 1099, I was getting thousand dollar 1099. So I think my first one was like $700 and the next one was like $800. So this is okay. like, not enough money to really even get like pay off a gym membership in a city. Right. This is just like some extra money. And I uh, really was just like always consuming content. I was like a content whore, just sick, like still I am. I listen to everything that was out there, but I always knew, had a feeling that if I had some sort of bankroll, I could be successful. But there were so many times where I was like, I'm just going to stop playing. This is it. Like, it's really frustrating where like you're playing 50 fifties, you win everything, lose everything. And, and for the next two, three years, I was still just building one lineup. And then I want to say the fall of 2018 is where I was like, all right, let's just really delve in. And the fall of 2018 is really key for the site as well. That is when uh, Osmo.com acquires a previously site known as Fanvice. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this was pretty key. But in between this period, I had also met Alex at a live final event that I crashed. FanDuel was like, hey, do you want to crash this live final event? Fendo just invited you? like for, It for, was in Chicago, were... okay. and it was actually a block away from where I was living. Uh, oh, it was funny. a bar called Sluggers, but I met them the day before we were playing. They had like a pickup basketball game, and I went to that, and I met. Uh, it's uh, funny to say this is 2017. I want to say this is the summer of 2017. I met Alex. I met Tom Kennedy. I met Petty Theft. These are the three guys who I remember meeting all at this thing, and I was like young. I was 21, 22 years old, and I remember asking Tom at the time, and I was like, yeah, do you make more money playing DFS than you are as a lawyer? I just straight up asking him. And I was like, not no, like, no, like shyness. I was just like, he's like, yeah, I do. I was like, what? I just blew my mind that people were making this type of money then. But me and Alex uh, were friendly. I knew Alex's name a lot because he was playing WNBA DFS. And that's something yep. that I was trying to grind out because I figured it was a little soft and I was had some success there. And then he told me later on he had season tickets. So we would go to season uh, tickets, uh, season, oh, uh, Chicago Sky Games together. Nice. And uh, it was lucky enough on the Chicago Red Line, I get to pick his mind uh, about DFS and yeah. little things like that. And uh, it was really valuable to me. I didn't have much of a bankroll then. 2018 comes around. I get more success because uh, I got better with bankroll management. I got better with uh, contest selection at the time. And it's as crazy as it sounds, you have to just try different things out when you're learning. It's people yeah. can tell you one thing, but DFS can be played slash solved in different ways to each other, each person. And for me, it was just, I guess, uh, finding the right contest for me. And ha it happened to be on Yahoo. Uh, that's okay. where I finally saw some success. And those are GPPs on Yahoo, I assume? Yes, because they had no management fees. I didn't even understand oh, yeah. rake for the first couple of years. And I just was like playing like a 
true casual guy on the couch, like type of player. It's like, all right. And there's something to a confidence level factor of seeing first place next to your username, which you don't get to see that much if you're playing the large field GPPs, but right. Yahoo had small size GPPs. I was like, wow, I'm coming first in this a lot more often than I ever have. I was a bit, been able to build up a bankroll on Yahoo. Uh, it was awesome. Like just getting that confidence factor is really key. And then understanding that if you're going to look at this at a, over a long period of time, it can pay off. And then I just uh, started applying different things I learned on Yahoo to FanDuel. But granted, I had been playing on FanDuel and DraftKings at lower stakes. Okay. But it was Yahoo's where I first saw success and confidence to really boost my like abilities to play, I think. And when you were getting first place on Yahoo, what kind of first place prize were you getting there? I mean, aside from the confidence boost, I assume you're winning some money at least. Yeah, it, could, it was no management fee. Sometimes they had different contests. It, it, even if it was two hundred fifty dollars, two hundred fifty dollars just winning is a lot. It was a lot to me at the time. A lot yeah, of money. depending on and it, still is. is to, I'll still take first place two fifty. First place, there's a ring to first place that is just awesome. And I think it was like two fifty. Sometimes it was five hundred. And I, th- I think my uh, like they had, like started growing their price on their DFS product a bit more there. I think I had probably my first, maybe my first four-figure win on Yahoo, potentially. Looking back okay. at it, I don't remember where, but might have been on Yahoo. Or if it wasn't on Yahoo, it was on DraftKings NBA Summer League, where I just would just, like, study everything about Summer League and, like, just know all the players. And I still do that just because I love the NBA. I just love absolutely everything about the NBA. All right. I feel like I need to break in here. I was going to save this for the, uh, for later. We have some listener cues, but since you brought up summer league, uh, I got a good question from Jake Anderson. Uh, he wanted you to address the ac- accusations that you cheat in NBA summer league DFS. Uh, there have been some accusations that uh, you uh, maybe call in and get the lineups from the coaches. Is this true? Tell me why, why do you know the lineup? So nobody else does. I assume <laughs> you must be cheating, right? Shout out to Jake Anderson. He's a good buddy of mine in OG who, uh, we had similar timelines of success. We uh, both started from the ground up and really worked to uh, not work together in the sense like we would brainstorm together ideas about NBA summer league. And he's one of the other guys who I really am friendly with on Twitter and whatnot. Uh, so NBA summer league uh, there, there's a lack of information there where if you really put in the work of what players are in the summer league, what type of profile they have. So I like before the summer league starts, NBA rosters release every player who's on a summer league roster. So mm-hmm. I'll go through every single summer league roster and kind of study what type of player they are. Sometimes I know the player based on like college pedigree. Sometimes they're former NBA players who are coming back. But the thing is, it's about once you get the news, you got to be quick to adapt to what's happening. There's no real optimizers there's no projections. And where I found success is I'm okay running 150 lineups with the same lineup in NBA summer league and just duping myself. And there were many oh. times where my 150 lineups are in the top 10 and it's a unique lineup where I'm going from three third place to 153 thing that happened three or four times uh, this summer league where it's an awful playing experience for the one guy who's building one lineup and he just sees 150 lineups of this insane person just playing that same lineup and like yep. players that you have no idea there are, but it's not that I'm, I don't have, I I get the information as quick as anyone else, but I just know where I'm looking for the information that being B reporters that being NBA.com. So I understand where the information is coming for. I know how to get ready to put quickly on my feet, building one lineup. I'm good to go. And that's uh, why people got annoyed this past summer about 
my success. And I didn't realize you're building 150 trains. Yeah, that would be that would be frustrating as a guy who's like, I'm in first place winning, I don't know, ten thousand dollars, whatever it is for summer league, and then suddenly you're not winning anything because you get passed by the Rin Pack train. I can see why that's frustrating, but uh, yeah, so so no no real cheating going on there. Jake didn't want me to go. He wanted me to really push the issue, not go easy on you too much. But I, I guess I think I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm sorry, Jake. There's nothing more I can really ask. I'm, about I know why Jake's upset because he probably came 154th. Uh, that's that's yeah, just yeah. Uh, that's probably why he's upset. Poor Jake. I, I do <laughs> I do feel bad for Jake. All right, so so we're building up to uh, leading up to you getting involved with. Awesome, Mo, but we're not quite there yet. So you're grinding Summer League. This is still before, you, you know Alex at this point, uh, you're still grinding DFS to the point where you're, uh, you started grinding Summer League. Uh, so, so you had some success at Summer League, uh, DF, uh, NBA Summer League DFS. Um, tell me about your progression from there. So, so you had some success in Summer League, then did you bring that into the NFL season or how, how did you progress from there and how did you get involved with Awesome ultimately? So for the first couple of years of just playing DFS, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I acted like a know-it-all. I thought I knew everything about it. Uh, I really did. I, I, I didn't know shit, not to be honest with you. And uh, I, DFS is something that will humble you really fast. And I didn't have success in NFL right off the bat. It's really a frustrating sport. And it still kind of is, uh, especially uh, this past season at different times. But no, I mean, ups and downs. But what I started to do is get away from my own uh, bias in my own uh, field towards building one lineup, like and really trusting data, uh, incorporating data into my process. That finally started happening in 2018. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, the 12 fall of 2018, the winter of 2018, where I was like, okay, let me just let me just get like I know how to look at numbers, understand numbers, and let, let's make let's find the balance in this. And then that things really did take off then. So, so what, what kind of data sources were you looking at? If you don't mind me asking, cause this is before Osmo was around. So what, what were you looking at? Uh, Osmo was around at this okay. point. Uh, Osmo was around in 2018 fall. Uh, but I was looking at projections. I'm uh, not really ownership projections at the time. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out projections, how I can use it to my abilities, how I can use my own intuition in these projections. And, finding that balance of where it's not too extreme where they're where i'm finding the balance how to apply this consistently over time and then using these projections i started using an optimizer in fantasy cruncher where like okay this is what the quote-unquote optimal lineup based off projections look like how can i be make good lineups based off this optimal but not being exactly that where i'm still giving my chance to win and i didn't it took me three and a half years to figure this out it's just like the Really, the, the really sad part about it, I wish I'd figured this out right off the bat, uh, but it took me that long to figure that out. And it, not to say I was like, okay, I was having bigger wins more often. Not to say I was winning more, but I was just having bigger wins more often, which is mm -hmm. what you want. And that's just being more informed to data, applying the data day in and day out, looking at different strategies that I thought could work for NBA and also I do think my NBA intuition does give me a little bit of advantage because I understand um, the ins and outs of what a rota rotation might look like at night to night based on potential matchups, defensive okay. schemes at times. And where do you think that comes from? Do you watch a lot of basketball? Are you looking at uh, Basketball Monster or the, the popcorn machine? Or what kind of tools are you losing, using to uh, gain this knowledge? Or is it just your experience with DFS and tracking games? Yeah, so I actually don't use like Popcorn Machine or I think the other one is like NBA Wower by Edmore Funds. I don't mm. use any of that. I watch a, a metric fuck ton of basketball. Okay. I watch a ton of basketball. I am all just reading up on like different what B reporters are saying. I am just a 
uh, basketball savant, I guess. I just like to try to suck in as much information. <laughs> do do you have a favorite team? I grew up a hardcore Pistons fan up until they traded Chauncey Billups and they kind of sucked since then. Mm-hmm. But I do think Kate Cunningham, uh, it looks promising. So I was a hardcore Pistons fan. And one thing DFS has done, and it's funny you bring that up. I've given up a lot of my personal fandom uh, through it. And ironically, to say that, it's been fine. I'm okay with it. Uh, like growing up, the Tigers were good and the, they were in the LCS World Series. Uh, they were good up until they traded Justin Verlander and I like stopped caring about them. And uh, so little things like that. Lions have always sucked. I'm not really a Lions fan. I don't yeah. really embrace them. But if the Lions do go to the Super Bowl, maybe I'll go. But looking at that process of just like incorporating more data and like in- information, it's it's really important nowadays where everything has gone to a more automated, more in- info-driven world. The information out there is really good. Uh, and everyone knows that. And trying to apply that to the best of your abilities is really important because otherwise you're going to just fall, be- fall behind, which wasn't the case, I want to say, let alone two and a half years ago. It's gotten a lot better even recently. Okay, so it's largely just watching basketball for you. Uh, so, so you're kind of similar to uh, Travis Betty in some ways. It's, it seems like he's you know kind of similar in that you both just have your pulse on the rotations, and that's kind of where you find a lot of your edge in NBA. Would you agree with that? I mean, uh, I, I don't want to put myself in the realm of tra- uh, Petty Theft. Petty Theft's uh, on his own mountain. He's a, he's a, he's a killer uh, NBA DFS player, probably. Uh, in terms of NBA, he's second done. He's been all, he's been yeah. great for a really really long time, and I've really enjoyed my conversations with him. And we've had uh, conversations about NBA together. And yeah, he knows uh, NBA really really well, uh, and I, it, I do think it helps. And where in the sense when it helps, I, I don't want to uh, speak for him, but sometimes you can quote unquote expose models that being ownership models, exposing mm-hmm. uh, projection models to give you that edge for that specific slate or specific night. But for the longest time, you could just talk about NBA. Uh, when they in, brought back late swap, that's when things took off for me because I really knew how to late swap quick, uh, really fast within like, I want to say a couple of minutes where without late swap, I don't think I'm a profitable NBA DFS player. And I'm, I don't know. We will never, I don't think we'll know. I really find that hard for me to believe. Uh, maybe I, I, I've had success in showdown single game. Maybe I would be, but because there's no late swap in that process. But in NBA Classic, NBA Main Slate, FanDuel, DraftKings, Yahoo, late swap is really important. And how to apply that really fast is what quote unquote edge is left. Otherwise, people are more times than not who are using data are putting out really good lineups nowadays. Let me take a moment away from this conversation with Rinpak to tell you about our sponsor, Noos Advantage. Noos Advantage is bringing you a different way to enjoy DFS with player props contests. It's 100% peer-to-peer to help level the playing field and offers over 500 player props. With all new users getting a $25 deposit bonus with promo code AWESEMO, that's A-W-E-S-E-M-O. Noos Advantage has mass entry capability and big prize pools. Beat your friends, not the house. Use our Noos Advantage projections and optimal lineup tool to help you take down big prizes. Download in the App Store or play on nohostadvantage.com. I'm trying to figure out where to incorporate. Do we want to talk process right now? Because I kind of want to talk about your background with Awesomeo first. Um, okay. I do want to get into that, into your late swap process. Uh, let, let's let's keep going with the, the path around and, and talk about you getting involved with Awesomeo and then really dive into your process because this is really fascinating to me. I really want to talk about your, your late swap process and your NBA edge. Um, 
Well, let's start with, so you, you knew Alex, uh, and in 2018, you're having success in football, and you're having a lot of success with NBA, uh, just kind of based on your knowledge of the sport and your utilization of late swap, maybe better than most people do. Uh, at what point do you get involved with Osimo? Yeah, so this is, uh, things get, I think things get pretty good, and probably a key point in my life when I do get involved in Osimo. So this is 2018 wrap, so 2019. Awesome was growing really rapidly. They're putting out great shows. And I had become uh, friendly with former colleague, uh, Fast Eddie Fear, who uh, I was friendly with. I had met Tom and Alex beforehand. Uh, they were a small site at the time. They, and then Fa Fast Eddie Fear is like, hey, I'm going to this uh, River North Starbucks, meeting up with Tom. And we were just talking about the site. Tom was just asking me about my experience as a subscriber, what I enjoyed. And he was just asking, what's your experiences with social media? I've always been a Twitter guy. There was, a, there was a time before, nowadays I don't tweet as much, but there was times where I was tweeting 10, 15 times a night about the NBA. This is like when I was an undergrad. So I've toned down drastically, but there was a time where I used to tweet a lot. But I knew um, a lot of things about DFS, like what was happening in the quote unquote industry. And uh, I, he's like, I think later in the week, it's like, hey, would you be willing to come on part-time to work us on the social media? And I have granted, I have no marketing experience, but I understand DFS and I know DFS pretty well. I was like, yeah, I mean, I've always respect Alex and Tom quite a bit. And if uh, I guess fast that if you're knocked on the door, Tom, let me in. And uh, I tr it's kind of been, I, I've rode with it since. If those guys don't, if Tom doesn't give me the opportunity, I really find it hard to believe I take DFS even more seriously to the next level. Because like once you put yourself in the environment of guys who have been so successful for so long, at the time, I think Alex and Tom were both like the most like successful players, one of the most successful players, but I was like, all right, I want to belong. I want to belong to be like respected inside. I just don't want to be like, I want to earn my own respect. And I slowly like building up their Twitter at the time when I joined, I think our Twitter had 5,000 followers, but I've helped with their marketing strategy efforts, that being YouTube descriptions, you know, like YouTube, like sponsors, promos, like I've worked on that and trying to grow other platforms. So I guess quote unquote, anything related to some sort of marketing strategy, social media strategy. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Little things like that. But the company has grown massive. At the time when I joined the site, there was a small 
we work office, there was four desks and I was sitting at one of the desks and the company is huge now, huge tech team and the company has gone on to do great things. So I do owe a lot to Tom to give me the chance because I don't think I take DFS more seriously where I was like, oh, I want to be good at this even more, have yeah. that drive uh, leading up to it. So that's how it started. Okay. I've still been around since then. But so are, are you the guy sending out the, from the awesome handle, the engagement farming tweets? Is that you? No, no, I, I don't do those. That okay. is a uh, colleague, uh, Joey Corman, who is Joey Corman. the director of uh, So well, I hear I, is a big liar. I, I don't know. Oh, yes? all, all I'm hearing on the, uh, whenever Greg and Eric do shows, yeah. they're talking about how Joey Corman cheats at some game that they play. I have no idea. I, I don't yeah. track it that closely. It's just a funny hey, Greg thing. Greg and Eric do. do definitely uh, give uh, Joey Corman a tough time. Uh, okay. That's that's funny that uh, that's brought up, but no, I'm I'm part time at the company as an I've been I'm, I've been been full time, but I definitely uh, do join on different uh, strategic initiatives with them. Talk about what things can be improved on the back end. So it's been a, it's an awesome experience for me. It's like a passion project. It's been a ton of fun. Yeah. All right. So, so uh, before we move on, I really want to talk about your process, but first I just, I had a, we were talking before the show and Mike was going to put up on the screen that you're a DFS professional and you said, no, I'm not a DFS professional. So I'm curious uh, why it is. Do you think, do you not consider yourself a DFS professional? Where, where do you uh, draw that line? How do you define being a professional or, or what's your, uh, what's your bugaboo about uh, being called a DFS professional? Uh, so I, I don't call myself a DFS professional. I call myself a competitive DFS player. It's kind of, it's always been a hobby for mine that has accelerated to like heights that I never would have thought of. I mean, if you were to tell me in 2015, Hey, I'm going to be doing a high stakes episode talking about my success in DFS. I'd be saying, hell no, no way, no way in chance. But I, I just don't see there uh, the term professional competitive. You know, yeah. You can flip a coin, whatever. I just, I don't, call myself a professional because I look at it as a hobby and it's not like the thing about DFS what makes it really interesting. If you look at it as a job, you're not, if you look at a job, it's like probably the only job outside if you're running a business where you're, where you're going to lose money a lot. You're going to lose money on more nights than not. And I try to explain this to my buddy who's in sales. Be like, Hey, each sales email you send and each, e- each email that you don't get a reply back. Imagine if you're losing money. And it's just like a way to look at it DFS wise, where I just look at myself, I'm like competitive, enjoy it as a hobby. Uh, it's a little more like less relaxing, less stressful. I was in grad school also. So it was a lot easier to tell people I was a student and I, I just don't call myself a DFS professional. I just say I'm competitive. But if you want to say, I do think drawing the line of like, Hey, once you're a professional, like playing the highest of high stakes, uh, I think that's fine. Or you yep. pass the, you get the four badges on FanDuel maybe, or you pass the uh, minimum uh, uh, profit on FanDuel, or you pass the $1 million entry fee on DK. If you want to draw the line, sure. I'm not going to argue okay. with you about it, but yeah. I just call myself a competitive DFS player. Maybe uh, you can call me a professional, sure, but I'll just call myself a competitive one. I mean, so so by my sense, so here, here's where I define it. Uh, I When I quit my day job to do DFS full-time, that's when I decided, that's when I started calling myself a DFS professional. Prior to that, I was a lawyer. Like that was, my job was, you know, doing this this law job. That was my profession. DFS was my hobby where I'm making more money than my profession. But then it's, it's, it's kind of a silly line. But then when I quit my job, I was like, okay, now I'm a DFS professional. So by, by my standards, you are a DFS professional because it is your, not just your primary source of income, but I would say the primary thing that you do for money, right? Like you, you, you know, you, you don't make enough uh, doing your, minimal amount of content at awesome to sustain your life. So yeah, I guess that, that's one way to look at your primary source of income is your profession. 
Yeah, that's definitely uh, fine. Uh, I think that's a great way to look at it. It's all arbitrary. <laughs> Would it also just be it's easier subjective. for you to tell people that you're an attorney? It might be, yes. I, I hate talking about what I do. Yeah. And especially like when people are like, oh, I see you quit your job. What are you doing now? And I, like, I don't want to... I don't want to try to explain this because people don't know. Some people look down on it. Some people are super into oh, it, but it's sort of hard 100%. to explain. Yeah. It's I, yeah. My parents, my parents look, I'm an only child. My parents hate it. I look down upon it. The only way to get them on the other side is uh, tell them that you want a hundred thousand dollars and be like, okay, right. that, that, that's one way to get them to be back on it. And then the last, you haven't won a hundred grand in a while. I was like, Hey, this is not like an everyday <laughs> right. type of thing. So, so, okay. So in that case, so you're not calling yourself a DFS professional. What do you tell people you do? If, if people ask you like, what do you do professionally? So uh, in my, I do have um, in my time, I work, obviously I have a couple of different gigs. I, there's DFS that takes up some time. I make content that takes up some time. I also work with healthcare. I work with the healthcare VC to invest in early stage healthcare startups, which uh, applies to what I went to school for. And that's, that makes things all the conversation sweet and short. And yep. I also, uh, there's a, I, there's a, I mean, I, I really don't care if people find out I play DFS. I mean, the shirt, it's not something I like rambunctiously am telling people I am playing DFS. I'll do right. it when I want to. And when I feel like it, it's not something that I need to share a screenshot. I don't need to do any of that. I don't feel any motivation or need for me to do that. So I usually tell people, I just recently graduated grad school. I work with the healthcare VC and I also help help out with some marketing strategy efforts for a content site and keeps things uh, short, sweet. And uh, if people who know me really well, like my inner circle, then if they ask about DFS, I'll bring it up. But it's not something that I go out of my way to be telling people. Uh, it's okay. if I bring it up, cool. It is what it is. But I like to keep things on the low uh, with yep. the public perspective, just because a it's hard to explain. B do they really care? And C uh, there is that negative cloud that can go over it where you yep. don't want people to think, "Hey, Neil's a gambler like on a daily basis." Sure, yes, technically by term maybe we are, but right. do you really want people to go out and be saying that. Yep. I maybe not. Negative connotations. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Now, so I really do want to talk about your process. Uh, we we kind of cut it short earlier just because I really want to dive into uh, a lot of different aspects of your process. So you say that you, I mean, you, you have, it sounds like a pretty good uh, grasp of computer programming, uh, but it sounds like you don't really do a lot of your own simulations. Is that correct? So uh, simulations is a funny word, uh, especially in DFS these days. Everyone, It's a buzzword. Nowadays. Right, right. And simulations are great. I think simulations are awesome. Data-driven decision points. A lot of the tools based on I decided data-driven. But a simulation can be driven down to even a guy writing an article of what a potential NFL game script might look like. That's a simulation because he's simulating an outcome, what he thinks might happen. So uh, by that term, yes, simulations are part of my process. I do try to sure. think of different game scripts. But am I uh, automating a, a ton of uh, simulations? Not all the time. It really depends on how much time I have in the day to really uh, drive it down. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's not. If you had the unlimited time to make a slate, like an NBA DFS slate, let's say uh, you have like six months to just focus on one slate. Yeah. Will I, be, will I be doing a ton of simulations? Probably. Probably. But we're not living in that world. We're living in a world where news is evolving. Um, news and notes are evolving. Uh, just projections are evolving. Data is evolving throughout a short period of time where you only have so much time to work with and you just have to be efficient in that time period. Okay. So it is something that you actually, you have the capability of doing at least, and, and you do do it sometimes. It's just a matter of 
it, especially with NBA, like you just usually don't have the time to be running simulations as news is coming in closer to lock. Um, and, and obviously if you're, uh, as, as, uh, Brian Hooper pointed out to me, if you run, if you, if you do a crunch of fantasy crunch with any amount of randomness, that is technically a simulation. It's not what I think of when I think of simulations, but as you mentioned, yeah, that, that is technically a simulation. So I guess if you're using any kind of randomness on fantasy cruncher, you are technically running simulations. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think maybe I guess your iteration or definition of simulation is someone who is programming, um, if the slate were to happen a million different times, what is the outcome that's going to happen? And then you derive whatever your lineup portfolio from there, right? I'm assuming right. that's what you mean by exactly. simulation. And I do yep. think that is very valuable to use. And, and a lot of successful players do do that. You can, re I think if you can see, you probably understand the players who are probably doing that. There are different ways to study that. Yep. But uh, with news evolving so quickly, especially in the NBA, I, you can definitely use that to your advantage, but I don't think you can do it the, to the best of your abilities with the time given. Okay. Uh, I know you use an optimizer. We, we talked about you use Fantasy Cruncher. Do you use Fantasy Cruncher for like every lineup that you make for every sport or do you have other ways of making lineups? Do you hand build sometimes? What's, uh, how often are you using uh, Fantasy Cruncher? So I will, um, I, I, more times than not, if I'm building many lineups, I'm using Fantasy Cruncher. I do think it's a great product of, getting your lineups out done efficiently and uh, being able to customize your own preferences at that being groups, that being uh, player. Uh, I mean, obviously projections being one and then uh, you just having the data out there is great. I will hand build certain lineups. I will hand build uh, probably if I'm at a live final, I'll hand build a live, a live final lineup. I'll hand build if I have like a high stakes, like just one entry. If I'm just playing one entry in a day, I'll probably just hand build that. Because uh, I, I, I've hand built for so long I still have like the soft spot in my heart. Like I still think I'm a hand builder heart, but yep. things have changed since then. And I do think an optimizer is very beneficial if you want to build a lot of lineups. And it's really hard to get away nowadays with everyone's data being so strong. You can use data key points to build like a lineup by hand and have great success at it. And so many nights you see a guy with just a single bullet winning. And I have one with a single bullet, thankfully, fortunately. Uh, but it's really hard. It's really hard. It definitely is. Um, so, so you keep referencing that projections are really good and that you like to be able to see the projections. Uh, do you, do you ever do your own projections from scratch? Cause this is something that it seems to me. So I was saying that you, you in some ways are similar to Travis Petty. You don't want to put yourself on that same pedestal, but just in like the, the, uh, the process to some extent you are, you're benefiting from your knowledge of the sport, from your understanding of rotations and stuff. So it might be useful for someone like you who, you know, has a good understanding of these things to build your own projections. Is that something that you ever do from scratch? Uh, not all the way from the start to finish. I will use a, a baseline uh, to see what, what is out there. And then I'll just, uh, I guess, uh, splash my own in NBA intuition to in into it. And that okay. being like uh, looking at how I can change up the minutes for certain players, uh, that being uh, blowouts. And I'm probably in a minority. I'm okay with projecting blowouts. And I think it's that's fine. I'm okay doing that. I'm okay dying on that hill. Some players are not, which is fine. again similar to Travis Petty. Another way, as something he said is that he is always projecting blowouts. He says, you know, that there's always a possibility of blowouts, so that goes into his projection. So, another way that you are a similar player. Yeah, I think it's completely fine. And uh, the Vegas spread is something the most indicative of any type of result, right? That's what we look at, or the betting odds, uh, whatever you look at. It's probably the best way to. I guess we use that as a baseline as well for blowouts or whatnot. I think I personally am okay with it. And I, 
I look at defensive matchups just to see who might be guarding who for projected uh, amount of time, just to see what players have the least path of res- uh, resistance to be successful every single night. I try to understand which players have that uh, every single night. And that's from watching data, watching, uh, looking at data, looking at ownership, and trying to have that holistic review on a slate night in and night out. Okay. And, and do you do your own ownership projections or are you using those from Awesome or other sources? And no one's beating. I mean, I'm sure people might have better ownership projections than Awesome, but I mean, they're, they're as good as it gets. I mean, if you come to me, you have better ownership projections. I'll definitely entertain them. Uh, I'm happy to uh, take a look at them, but uh, they're as good as they get. I mean, they're really awesome just to be able to incorporate that into uh, the next level of the boom bust and all that has been a really revolutionary it has made a lot of uh, a lot of it has made players really good at dfs and yeah. uh, it's just it is what it is as data evolves players get better and that's how things go that's how things go yeah um so i'm curious to, to hear what kind of player you consider yourself so this is a discussion that i've had with several of my recent guests uh the the game theory optimal versus uh, versus exploitative style. So I will consider myself an exploitative style, which is uh, for the listeners, that's like, if you look at, you, you figure out which players are under-owned relative to their chance of success, and you try to exploit them being under-owned by going above the field and maybe, and even above where you think they should be, you know, if, if everything was efficient uh, to try to exploit where the field is uh, playing too little of a player. And then obviously the inverse as well. If, if the field is playing too much of a player, then I go, I play less of that player than I think that they should be owned at. Whereas game theory optimal, or as Nerdy Tenor calls it, balanced uh, would be you're playing just exactly, you know, he, he runs simulations to figure out exactly uh, the amount that a player should be in lineups, their chances of being optimal, and he plays them exactly at that level. Um, so I, I've had these discussions with a lot of the top pros, how they consider themselves as players. Do you consider yourself either an exploitative or balanced player, or do you have a kind of a different style? How would you describe your type of play? Probably say more of the balance type of thing, but that took me three and a half, four, almost four years to figure it out. As I was hand building lineups, I was getting lost in the shuffle of trying to be perfect, trying to build that perfect lineup night in and night out. And forgetting that DFS is a peer to peer thing, you're peer-to-peer. That's, it's different than sports betting. I completely would, was blind to that. You're trying to beat everyone else. You're not trying to be perfect. It's something that I took me a long time to understand that and apply to that. A lot of times when I was building lives, I, I wouldn't have much shock. I'd have a bunch of guys sell 5% on, trying to be perfect. And that's where I got lost in the shuffle. And then when I moved to more of the balance, using more data, trying to like use ownership as a baseline to see what, quote-unquote, I think is good ownership. A lot of times in NBA, the ownership is justified and uh, even so more nowadays. And yeah, I think more of the balance build. And going back to what I said earlier, uh, really tough to build out simulations. Nerdy Tenor probably makes it look, it makes it look like uh, saying the alphabet. And he, I, I, I've heard his process. It's uh, pretty surreal. And uh, that's, that's the competition that will be the competition in years to come. And it's, it's something that all players who want to be successful for foreseeable future need to incorporate to, to a certain extent at times, I think, because it's going to be tough to beat a process yep. like that. Yep, for sure. All right. So, so you're more of a game theory optimal type player. Do you, do you, so you, do you consider ownership projections? I mean, it sounds like you do. You, you at least factor in ownership projections to some extent. Uh, am I wrong in saying that? You, you're kind of, you look like you're maybe questioning whether that's true. Do, do you factor in ownership when you're making your lineups or are you just trying to make the best projected lineups or the best, you know, portfolio of lineups that you can? 
without factoring I'll, it in. I'm more in line with the portfolio. There are times where uh, maybe this off season, I need to like prepare myself to incorporate ownership a bit more and incorporate more leverage in mind. I Historically, I need to get better at that just to give myself a chance to win more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that's uh, with the lack of time that I have in the day, I don't. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Use as much, uh, which is uh, kind of probably going to sound like... Uh, kind of shocking to people probably it's something that i need to incorporate more i don't incorporate it enough i think to put myself in to be more successful so that's something that i need to work on i don't use it that much uh, to be honest with you and uh, it's something that i need to work on and you i mean you could look at what ownership projected ownership and i'll have an idea of what what that might look like Uh, just also if for some reason that ownership projection is wrong you're really screwing yourself over yeah and not only if it's wrong with the uh, with NBA news evolving as it does, that ownership projection at uh, six fifty five means uh, I think honestly shit if there's yeah, does, yeah. someone if someone's sure. ruled out at seven oh one. So I try to just like look at like okay, that's another variable where I'm probably going to be wrong more often than not with the news evolving. So I try to back off of it a little bit. Now there are sports where you probably should be looking at ownership. A lot more, albeit golf. I think that's one way to look at it. It's sport that's highly variant, where probably some guys are way too heavily owned. And yep, uh, yep. With pricing being so efficient, you can definitely find leverage like that. But sport like NBA, where news is like on the fly, like we're chatting right now in the afternoon, we might get one news now, which might be the biggest news of the day, but that might mean shit come like 10 minutes from now because we'll get someone else ruled out or ruled in uh, based right. on a situation like that. Uh, so we've been talking a lot about NBA. Uh, would would you say that NBA is the sport that you have the biggest edge in in DFS, or is it is it some other sport that we haven't talked about? Uh, yeah, NBA by far. Uh, okay. It's my, my so, most successful sport, and uh, uh, not by leaps and bounds. Uh, maybe leaps and bounds. I have to look at my road tracker, but NBA has been uh, pretty uh, fortunately and very lucky to be uh, been really awesome to me over the past couple of years. 
yeah, I, I was looking at your, your road awareness profile a little bit and I was a little surprised to see how many other sports you have had success in. I mean, I knew that you were successful in other sports. I've seen you in at the top of leaderboards as well, but I think of you as being, you know, NBA first and then you're a great player in other sports, but NBA, you just crush the field. Uh, you have wins, it seems regularly every, every season, it seems like you're always near the top or, or winning tournaments. Um, so where, where would you say that edge comes from in NBA? Uh Probably it, it does help just like understanding my own intuition, like year mm -hmm. over year, uh, just being on top of uh, obviously NBA offseason player movement just happening, what might things look like come the fall, uh, understanding potential game plan, matchups. It's the whole holistic thing of just being just a big, big fan of NBA. And uh, maybe if I were to delve in like that in other sports, I thought about it like, if I was a diehard NFL fan, would things be like that? Maybe, but there's like NFL is so difficult to look at it because technically there's 18 weeks plus showdown now. So you, there's a lot more slates where uh, I've had great success in NFL. I mean, I've had, yeah. I've had success there, but maybe if NFL was a sport every night, like NBA, maybe I'll understand. Maybe, maybe the you just have the bigger sample that. size with NBA yeah. to see your success over time. And I also just, if you, there was times where I think two years ago, I knew every single player on every single roster in the NBA. That's how much I'm a fan of. That's like, I just know what to expect. And I'm more than willing to take a flyer on a guy, the ninth man, ninth guy on a rotation, a potential block than the rest of the field. So are you, are you crushing portal then? The, uh, or portal, I think it's pronounced. Yeah. yeah. I, I probably would do really well in, in the portal game. Yeah. You haven't been playing it though. No, no. I mean, uh, well, too easy. It's, it's it's tough to play when there's no six figures up top in a contest, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. What's the point? You're right. You're right. All right. So, so biggest edge in NBA, and you think that it's largely just due to your understanding of the sport, your intuitions. Uh, what what does your typical process look like for NBA? Like, when when do you start your work for the day? Assuming that you're not doing a show for Awesome, I know that that can kind of change things up a lot if you're going to be on like the deeper dive or live before lock. Uh, if you're not doing a show when would you say you start your process? And of course, you're always doing the slate starter too, but uh, so, so maybe it changes things anyway. But anyway, uh, in general, what, how, how, how does your process look if you're not doing, say, one of the shows leading up to lock? Uh, if I'm not looking at one of the shows leading up to lock, it does start with the NBA slate starter. Uh, the slate winds down. Uh, you know potential injuries might have happened or uh, any sort of what might happen tomorrow you just try to uh, the slate starts just to get your mind running it's like it's that warm-up lap for the next day is how i look at it just to get your feet wet it's like kind of like the table setter for the rest of the day uh i i enjoy the show just to get my feet wet uh just mm -hmm. helps with me my process just to look at pricing inefficiencies what vegas uh, none of the vegas lines are usually aren't out but i'll look at whatever ones are out and i'll look at oh uh i i just saw Devin Booker sprained his ankle. What would, what would that mean if Phoenix is on a back-to-back -back or if uh, someone who's got hurt a lot this uh, past season, like the guys who were always questionable, Jimmy Butler was always questionable this season. Like yep. you have to deal with that again. So just like getting yourself already just thinking in your mind different scenarios of injury news. But, and then I, I'll look at maybe Vegas lines in the morning. I really don't touch anything till I'm going to say uh, about 75 minutes till pr before lock. And then this is where my process gets pretty, uh, I guess, th wild. Uh, I play regularly on four sites uh, every day. And I've done this part of my routine ever since, I want to say, 2018, 2019, just to – it's been a process of mine, and I don't care if I'm only playing $250 on one site or, like, a lot less volume than FanDuel and DraftKings. I just – I for me, it's like I just have to do it. It's just like I have to do this every day. They're probably – 
Uh, looking back at it, probably a self-doubt. Maybe sometimes I, I do miss the CSV upload that we had talked about. Yep. But I, I go through site by site, get all my stuff ready for four sites. Um, Which four sites? FanDuel, DraftKings, Yahoo, Superdraft? And, yes, yeah. Okay. And, and uh, sometimes there was a fifth site in Fantasy Draft that I was doing five sites in, the, I want to say, the 2020 NBA bubble, and they closed out right before that season, NFL season. So I was doing five sites pretty, like, uh, full-on every single night. Uh, just looking through everything, just getting everything ready to go. I would do that every single day. I still, uh, I still do uh, four sites uh, whenever I can. I most times, more times than not, I do. And it's just a process of mine, just for me. There are some days, there are some months where Yahoo will be the month that carries me, and I just want to give myself the pathway of just like, all right, if things if things go really bad, there might be a site that just carries me, just like how variance works out in DFS. Yeah. So there will be months where Fandle carries me. Oh, there will be months that DK carries me. So for me, it's really important. And I, I really make sure it's a priority to just get, get it out there on four sites because there gives you a potential to solve four different puzzles. And yeah. I'm talking about portfolio. You are now diversifying your portfolio among four sites. Now, I do not recommend it. It is, it takes a, it's a cluster of a mind where you're processing different things, ownership for different things. And you can, there are instances where you can mix things up where the automation aspect of it which i have lacked i don't have the auto my process is a little bit more manual than it needs to be where i don't think mm. i can automate it to be successful so i don't i that's something i need to work on there you, you were telling me i think it was before the show that you mentioned that you uh screw up your csvs all the time and you end up with like no lineups or, or trains of lineups is that something yeah. that happens like I, um, on a monthly probably, basis oh uh, i no. the goal of mine this year was to not get not miss any csvs this calendar year i've it's a lot less than last year but this year, I, I think I, I missed a couple. The worst is when you miss them on like a showdown or snow game because yeah. it's either a train or it's just dead. And I, I'm in like a by a dummy lineup, it's like real dummy. Like there are guys <laughs> who are not in the league in this dummy lineup, yep. and it, it burns me. And I, I need to just like sit back, just build a lineup that can compete, and make sure that happens more often. Um, just like a bad organization, uh, you just forget things when you have a lot when you're playing a lot of slates, and it'll cost you. You can't you don't want to miss a lot because right. you'll, you'll burn a lot really fast. And I've learned the hard way. Uh, the worst is we have everyone and it has happened in the NFL season where it just ruins a week and that's just the worst, but it's something that I, I'm constantly working on that organization of getting that better. Yeah. And it's with late news. It's a little, it can be a little tricky at times, but I've gotten a little much better at it than years past. It's something that's one of my biggest weaknesses is just getting that CSV in time. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it happens to me all, it's happened to me multiple times in the past week where I screwed up either. For, I forgot that I was playing on FanDuel on a two game NBA slate. So I had reserved lineups and they were just, I couldn't enter with one game. So that was, you know, I, I do think, bucks down the drain. Um, I will share some key advice. There is a prolific player. Uh, I will not say their name, but has uh, an alarm set 30 minutes before to get a dummy, like a dummy set of lineups. In. Um, I, I think there are multiple, multiple players do that. So that is, probably in a process that I need to incorporate, even though yeah. like news can change in those last 30 minutes. But I think that's something that uh, probably I should incorporate in my process. Just, it doesn't take long to upload the lineup. It's just like bad organization, uh, bad, bad discipline of just not getting that lineup. In. So you, you said, you, you mentioned 75 minutes. Were you saying that 75 minutes before the slate starts, you start setting up your lineups for the four different sites? Yeah, just starting my quote unquote nightly process. But- okay. The, word, the thing about NBA is you have to be at your computer from 
5.45 Eastern to 9.45, 9.55 Eastern uh, to give your ch chance the best chance to win. I do think the next uh, evolution in NBA DFS, if they do keep late swap open, which I do hope is just if people who simulate in contest outcomes based on yep. drafting CSVs, which would be the next evolution, which would be would not to say ruin the game, but it would uh, it would be a wild thing to um, I, I've thought about it. That's like I was like, could I do this? Would it would it be worth it? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, it, it would be it's tough to invest that amount of time. And like if you don't have a, have a good process down, it can really burn you. So it, it would require a lot of back testing to figure out. Uh, the one thing uh, in NBA DFS, I do find myself pretty good at it. The one thing I need to get better at is the NBA high stakes, like the $3 or the four figure contest. Uh, for When I was building one hand, one lineup by hand on Fando, I was playing like the $500 and I was doing fine with it. But when I shifted to more of an MME style uh, in 2019, uh, was it 2019? Yes, it was in 2019. No, MME, I started MMEing. The 2019 fall, 2020 spring, uh, 2020 winter is probably uh, the January, February is when I really started MME. But I was mm -hmm. playing like the high stakes on FanDuel. I was doing fine. I didn't really dabble in the draftings. I haven't found, I haven't been able to find my footing. And probably my goal for next regular season is trying to find my footing there and try to be competitive uh, more nice yeah. than not. So that's I, I struggle with high stakes across all sports, except for MLB. I think I've had a little bit of success, but in general, I, I have not had a ton of success at high stakes. I've looked at your results. I mean, you've had plenty of success, a lot more than I have at high stakes. So it seems like you're doing well enough, but maybe just not as well as you do at uh, the low stakes stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I still see that you're doing pretty well at high stakes. At least you've had, you've had some big wins there. Yeah. Um, the thing with high stakes, the swings are get even more massive. And yep. that's something that you have to mentally prepare yourself. So, yeah. All right. So, so you start about 75 minutes before lock that's surprising i mean that, that's pretty late that's uh even later i mean I, I don't start that but i probably start 15 minutes before you do most days uh and for me it's just because i am listening to content and i don't want to have to listen to it at a full 2x the whole time so i try to get in there where, when i can still listen to uh deeper dive live before lock at 1.5x or so on youtube uh, are, are you consuming content or are you just because you have such a good understanding of the teams or rotations, that kind of stuff, do you feel like you don't really need to consume content? And if you're not doing a show yourself, are you just, are you not listening to content or are you typically? Uh, for NBA DFS content for me, it's kind of like white noise. I just like have it on in the background. I don't, okay. I think I'm completely fine without it. I, yeah. I don't need it. And there is great content, great minds just sharing great insight for people. Majority of people viewing are probably building one to three lineups and maybe I don't necessarily agree with the content being shared for guys who are building only one to three lineups. Cause mm -hmm. uh, what does 37% of player X mean to a guy who's building one to three lineups? Like, so uh, cause I was a, I was a one lineup builder and there was content that would tailor to guys like who are building one to three lineups that I used to consume pretty well when I was a hand builder. But for me, it's white noise. It's great. We have great guys, great minds. I mean, our NBA team is awesome. So I, I do enjoy the content whenever I do listen to it. I don't necessarily need it or make it part of my process. Okay. So it's not a huge part of your process. You're typically just shaping your own exposures across the four different sites. I mean, that it takes some time to just go through Fantasy Cruncher and figure out how much you want of different players. Um, and are you, are you typically uh, setting like exposure caps to get to those exposures or do you have 
different ways that you try to get to exposure that you like to different players. It re- and not necessarily, I don't necessarily just uh, do exposure caps. Maybe okay. if I need to, for some odd chance uh, or like an odd slate for like, I really want to just like not deal with a hundred percent of some scrub and yep. I'll just cap right. them off like that. And another thing about uh, content, I do think like uh, for some reason, the industry has gone very draftings heavy and like, has ignored like FanDuel contract for some reason. I don't understand why. I think FanDuel is a great, it's a fine site to play on, but yeah. uh, I think it, FanDuel is more bankroll friendly for the novice player just because of their contest uh, dollar free entries and contest uh, sizing. So just because it's usually DraftKings is like $20, 100K to first, while FanDuel is $9 or maybe $7, 100K yeah. to first. So there's a huge, huge bankroll disparity between these two sites for that signature contest. Uh, yeah, yeah. so I, I love the balance of content. So when I try to give content, I try to talk about everything in a short period of time. So I'll make sure that's, to that's, touch on FanDuel and DraftKings whenever I do do a show. That's so, great. Of you. So I, I used to find it really frustrating back when I, like before I started playing higher volume, when, when I was just doing five to 10 lineups, I did find it frustrating that the sites would focus so much on DraftKings and not spend as much time on FanDuel when I had a more limited bankroll because I was spending more of my money on FanDuel because I could get more lineups into a big contest with a with a large pool. Uh, and of course, now that I'm doing content, I'm falling into the same trap where it's just like, I don't have time to talk about two sites really. And most of the audience is playing DraftKings. So I definitely fall into the trap of when I'm doing content, talking more about DraftKings. So that's uh, probably something that I should fix. And that's that's good of you to uh, to keep those players in mind because that it, it is important you know when you're starting off usually you want to play on FanDuel. it's a little bit softer there and the and typically the buy-in for the largest contests are a little bit cheaper for sure and the reason why it's softer because their um contest size are sixty thousand entries sometimes i think tonight's sixty thousand entries and when there's more entries it's a softer field i right? just natural numbers uh, for you and while on everyone's obvious a lot of the successful people are using optimizers 150 lineups where things can get a little difficult. And that's why people have overreactions to certain ownerships because the contest size is bigger. And ownership projections are really hard to predict. They think they're a good baseline. They're never going to be point on accurate, just like an right. NBA media projection. It's never going to be point on accurate. So it's a great baseline, a great uh, approach to like have that uh, in your process. So just making sure you have the right insight for the right site is really helpful. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Uh, so, so you just mentioned that you you feel like you need to be at your computer from 5.45 Eastern until basically a lock of the last NBA game. And we, we were starting to talk about late swap a little bit earlier, how you feel. You were saying that you don't think you would be necessarily a successful NBA DFS player without late swap. Like that, that is where you find the biggest edge. What does your late swap process look like? Um, usually I will, uh, there are multiple ways to approach this. Sometimes you have uh, scenarios and projections ready to go if certain players are out. Mm-hmm. And um, our Osmo does a great job of getting the projections out uh, literally seconds after news breaks. Sometimes I, I do think uh, people rely on certain news uh, sources, news notifications, but there are times where I'm minutes ahead of the news source in a, uh, a break because I have like a list of beat reporters and uh, projections and alerts ready to go where I know uh, quite a couple minutes I'm willing to take that risk if that's like not the quote unquote uh, official break, news break. So I'm willing to uh, take that risk if I know which player is going to be in or which player is going to be out. And I just am willing to be very aggressive with late swap, uh, late swapping. And sometimes I don't give it myself enough flexibility and some, it's an evolving process, but, and sometimes people don't know what to do with the player that's being inserted into the rotation, how they map out. And this goes back to like playing summer league, playing NBA preseason. I understand what the player profile prototype is and like how he might fit in with this offense and just applying my intuition a little bit more. I'm willing to take more risk than anything. And for me in DFS, I think the more risk you take and the higher reward you are obviously going to be able to get, but obviously it can go the other way. The more risk, the more damage you can take on your night. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's all about that. Giving yourself to boom when things go right. Right. You want to yeah. be able to win everything when things are right. So I do think that late swap process and being willing to take some chances on certain players where more importantly in late swapping, I'm willing to play players that other people aren't willing to play. So okay. that's just how I approach it. And is that where you would be more likely to use your own projections? Like when you're late swapping, if like say you, you say that sometimes you get the news before the major sites will, so probably well, before Osimo is updating their projections, do you sometimes go my, and do your own projections? It's sometimes, it's not all the time. It's not like I have some hierarchy, like right, right. Uh, being setting. It's like if the B reporter tweets something out and there are obviously we have aggregated news information, us being one of them. And then yep. um, obviously the notable one is underdog NBA. They just drive so much of the, quote unquote, oh, news broke here, notification. Rightfully so, they do a great job. And that just drives it. But if you have the news two minutes ahead and it's 8.55 versus 9, 8.55 versus 8.58, those five minutes give me the ability to go on all four of my sites. If I don't get that all the time, it it just, it is what it is. But I can react quicker. I can think of, um, I guess, a game script where this guy is going to be successful or not. And uh, you go from there. But I really do think if I get it later is more beneficial for the late swapper. Like for example, yesterday uh, we got the Kobe white thing a little bit earlier than I'd been hoping. Right. A lot of people projected with Caruso and Levine, Levine gone with health and safety, Caruso with a concussion. Everyone thought Desumu and uh, Kobe white would start. I was like, let's just wait on this news. It came out way too early. I was like, damn it. I, I, was yeah. like, I still was, I would have liked Kobe White either way. So his ownership did fall to a point where like, I still liked him a lot. Uh, and just like understanding who Kobe White is and what the usage might look like in running the second unit at times. But little things like that, 
over a long period of time has paid off for me. Now, yeah. going back to your original thing, I really don't think, I think NBA DFS is almost solved pretty much if there is no late swap. I don't sure, sure. think there's much difference. You will be, I do think if there was, if it's a no late swap, there is a good chance there. Like we would be seeing duplicates, like ties up top to win more nights than not. I don't know. I don't know about more nights than not, but we'll be seeing like first and second in large slates. Like tops. just because the projections are so good or why do you, why do you think that is? Yeah. Uh, projections are really good across the board nowadays. Okay. And like uh, they're pretty good. And I mean, they're, they have improved drastically. And now I would love to see how that would happen. If there was an opportunity, if there's no NBA, let's stop how I would do. I just don't know. Yeah. Do I want to find out? Yes, no, maybe so. Things have gone really well. With as long as it swap. doesn't actually affect your bankroll, you want to find out? Yeah, so it's it will. will I, I don't think they'll, uh, from a player perspective, it's pretty awful if your player is out and you can't swap them out. Yeah, which it's it was like, on FanDuel for a while. So I maybe, I don't know if you were playing FanDuel those days, mm-hmm. but there were years where there was no late swap and there was, there was late swap on DraftKings, not on FanDuel. And I, I actually loved it at the time because I would, sometimes I'd play 50% of a player that was questionable. Like everyone else can be scared of this guy and I'm going to play him anyway and just hope for the best. And, so in and 20, have... 2018, 2019, uh, FanDuel would um, drop your lowest score. Yep, that was- So yeah. that resulted in- a huge stars and scrubs lineup because people would just play a $3,500 player who doesn't even touch the court and they'll be like, okay, we'll take the zero, but we'll just maximize salary everywhere else. And that really helped if you had a solid optimizer. Unfortunately, I did not have the bankroll to MME then. I just didn't, I just didn't have the bankroll at that uh, juncture. It took me a long time to get a sustainable bankroll, but yeah, damn, I, I would do well in this if I had the uh, opportunity to do so. Yeah, it is what it is. So I, I want to just get back to this, just be, uh, because you said so. You're uh, with late swap. You're willing to play some players that p- other people aren't going to be willing to play after late swap. Um, I assume that you get there by giving them a boost to their projection, or how, how are you getting to players that nobody else is getting to within fantasy? Grid? Is that because you are projecting them yourself within fantasy grid or changing, altering the the projection yourself? Yeah, sometimes I'll do that uh, if I'm in a rush, or I'll just like lock that player in and just be like, okay, I want the lineups with him in there just to get exposure to him. And uh, yeah, he might not project well, but in a way I draw a game scenario for him, I can see him being successful and I'm willing to take that chance. It's all about taking chances for me. And I'm completely fine with that. Uh, I I will take some drastic chances on some unknown players uh, more times, uh, not more times than not, but nights that I've done successful. It's like, uh, my first massive, uh, I guess my first six-figure NBA win was playing Jordan Poole at 3K at half a percent owned. Wow. So I, I like, it was the NBA trade deadline. I knew the type of player he was. This Golden State was shorthanded. No projection system really liked him. At the time, it was, some people thought he was like one of the worst, 10 worst players in the league. I was like, I'll still play him. And I think I had 50% of him win the field at half a percent. So wow. uh, I, I will sand. do I will do things like that. And I think the more recent one this year might've been Trey Murphy, the third, I, I will do things like that. Uh, probably a little more, more often. Look, this will probably not work out more. T- it will not work out more times than not, but when it right. does, I think I am sweeping like contests and I, that has yeah. happened multiple times. Yeah. And that's, that's gotta be a fun feeling. I don't think I've ever swept a contest. I'm, I usually spread stuff out so much that I never, I'm not going to be first, second, third ever in a contest, but I imagine that's a pretty good feeling to just crush everybody's hope and, hopes and dreams. I have, I have never done first, second, third on like the main NBA DraftKings uh, thing. Uh, it would be nice. Just, just summer like league. That. But, but you really don't want to play like that. You want to diversify 
your portfolio. Yeah. That is have, very unique circumstances for me. Have you ever done one through 150 in Summer League NBA? No, I've done two through 151. Oh, that's sure. rough. Yeah. I think good, for that, good for that one guy. All right. I think, that I one think player. Two through one, 151. I'll take it though. I mean, right. uh, two through 151 is uh, pretty uh, awesome. Have I done one through 150 in a contest before? Maybe in a showdown or a single game? Maybe. I, okay. I would have to go look back at it. Um, but now it's also being duped with other people. All right. Well, that, that actually brings me to the next thing that I was want to talk to you, get, get your opinion on this. So I see that you've had a lot of success in NBA showdown, which is a format that for me, I've never really been able to get into because I just, I, I have concerns that there's not enough edge there because NBA is so projections based, like on, on main sites, typically if you're playing, if you're leaving a thousand dollars on the salary uh, on the table, that's too much. So like for, for NBA, you know, for like NFL showdown, I like to leave salary on the tables. What one way that I like to get different with NFL showdown. So for NBA showdown, I'm like, man, it's hard to get different because projections are so good. It's so projectable. But then if you play like any of the good projected lineups, you're going to be duped a million times. So I've been, I've been hesitant to get involved with NBA showdown because I'm worried that there's not enough edge with the rake involved and everything. Um, have, have you found that, uh, that it is somewhere that there is edge? Uh, do you believe that there is currently edge with NBA showdown? Tough question. Depending on the, depending on the slate, depending okay. on the day where I, if I can, I know where uh, I guess projection models or ownership models are a little off. I'll have a good day. Otherwise, it's pretty solid. I, I do think a lot of lineups being thrown out there are pretty darn rock solid. When NBA Showdown first or an NBA single game released, that is uh, the next level of my confidence I received. Like that's like the next level. I was I was like, wow, I'm getting first on DraftKings often, even though if it was duped, it was just amazing to see my name in next to first place because. The feeling first place is awesome in any type of contest. I mean, you make lineups to come in first and you should always try to make lineups to come in first. So I was like, that was a great feeling. That's the first time I really felt confident on DraftKings and FanDuel because it was happening at a higher clip. And obviously smaller, smaller player pool, a lot easier to come first, a lot less uh, potential game slate outcomes, obviously with a one game sample. But I do think more times than not, it is pretty there are lineups out there that are really good. And you mm -hmm. could even make the case that uh, it is solved. And now if there is news breaking at, I think there was an instance this year that uh, Dwight Howard was ruled a starter at uh, about three minutes left to go, uh, three minutes left to start. And they like little things like that. Okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna have a good day just because people are gonna yep. mess this up and uh, little things like that. So that's not really late swap. It's just reacting news quicker than everyone else. in a and no one will have the ability to late swap. Right. But I do think it's pretty solved. Uh, it's tough not to chase. I've had some solo wins on NBA Showdown, but those are very like, if I, if I get three NBA Showdown solo wins, like not duping with anyone else, that's a great, I think, season. I think I mean, last couple of years, I've I had two. So. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. great, like Showdown season. So sometimes it works out. And that's another thing. That's another uh, situation where I'm willing to play players that no one else is willing to play yeah. uh, in a situation For sure. like that. And the reward is much higher, but the risk is still pretty great. Yeah. That's what I try to do when I do play showdown. I just go over the field on all the guys that nobody wants to play and just kind of hope for uh, some bad, in, uh, some, some bad uh, foul luck. I was about to say injury luck. That's not what I meant. So I, I want players to foul out uh, so that, you know, backups can get in the game. And that's kind of what I feel like I'm banking on with NBA showdown, but uh, I haven't had a ton of success with NBA showdown. So 
Uh, I'm glad to hear that you sort of agree, but that, yeah, I, I, that makes sense to me that there would be edge in certain situations where maybe the field is getting a lot of stuff wrong and you can find edge. And obviously with late breaking news, for sure you can find edge. I also noticed that uh, looking through your top results, you've had days where you uh, win showdown and you're duping yourself like 10 to 20 times. Is that something that you do on purpose just because you have confidence in your projections and you know it's not worth it because it's gonna be duped so many times to just win with one. So you're like, I'll put this lineup in 20 times and take a bigger proportion of the first place prize pool. Is that is that intentional? Yeah, that, that's completely intentional. And I did that on purpose uh, just because I don't think I can make better than 15 lineups. I can't make, I can't make 11 good lineups where the rest of the field is under the I'm only making 10 really good lives because I think the field has it right. Okay. Where I still can get different in these 10 lineups where I'm going to do really well. And it has happened multiple times that those 10 lineups have come first because it's okay. so many small outcomes. So, well, if I'm only making 10 lineups, so it's all well, 15 lineups will come first or by making 15, 10 lineups will come first, just be 150 divided by 10 or 150 divided by 15. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll even maybe sometimes do 75 and two, 50 and three. Really depends on the slate. Um, but now with the, uh, I've been experimenting more, just like obviously I've done majority of the times is just 150 lineups. And I've noticed where I think I was like, ah, man, maybe I should try this out. So it's just like, I'm always trying different things out to see how they go. It's all a small sample size. We'll never know if that was right, but first place is first place. You can't never take that away. Yeah, and first place times 15 is more fun than first place times one in those contests where I was stupid a lot. So yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting, I've, I've never tried that strategy of just making fewer lineups and duping myself and hoping that I can get a bigger proportion of the prize pool. But maybe that's what you need to do in, in sports like NBA with Showdown where uh, there's only so many good lineups that you can make. Uh, that makes some sense to me. I don't, I don't necessarily recommend it because it's very, very unique circumstances. And that's like, yep, like yep. maybe it's okay. worked out three times out of, I don't know, the thousand showdown slates I've played. So it's not something that it's recommended. If you, if you want to come, if you want to come first, try to build a unique lineup where the game strip works out for you and uh, it could definitely pan out, but more times than not, someone else is probably going to have that thing, especially in NBA. Okay. Um, all right. So, so last week you were, uh, last week, my guest, sorry, on uh, high stakes was Gene B. Kim. And we talked about how you had gone into his class at Stanford and given a lecture at his class, uh, probability and gambling. And you were the guest lecturer and you were there for a full hour, I believe, of lecture. Uh, how, how did that go for you? Did, did you enjoy uh, doing a lecture in front of that Stanford class? Yeah, I actually loved it. It was a great, like, I think once in a like, lifetime opportunity that I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do this. I believe I went the full two hours. I think I just like ran with it and it was a ton of fun. And uh, just Sam, if you ever want to see screenshots from me, you got to apply to Stanford, take that class. So. I was going to say, I noticed that you shared some screenshots for the class. So what is it? Why, why are you withholding from the rest of your fans on Twitter? You're not, you're never sharing your, your screenshots on Twitter. I see you win a hundred thousand dollars and there's no mention of it anywhere. Uh, what, what's the deal with that? Why are you so opposed to putting out your screenshots? Uh, so I, uh, I have obviously friends and follow, I mean, I have friends who follow me as well. And I just like want my friends just to know me as me. I don't want my friends to know me as a, he just won a hundred grand yesterday type of situation. I just want my friends to value me as a person who I am and gain their respect. Cause I have a ton of friends who follow me as well. And if they happen to find out, I'll have a conversation with them, but I just don't, I don't need to publicize that. If uh, a lot of times, if someone else is sharing your success, that's as successful as it can get. And the reason why I was like, yeah, I'll just I'll share these just to show um, those, that was a reward. I also sh showed like 
the the ups and downs of everything over the past, uh, I guess, closing out on seven years of playing DFS of how things started and when things took off, when things didn't go as well. So kind of showed him the whole the whole storyline of my whole journey of playing DFS. So yeah, and I just going to run with a bit where I'm only going to share screenshots at Stanford. All right, that's fair. Fair enough. You need to get into Stanford. You need to take this course, and uh, and then you'll get to see Rinpack screenshots. Um, all right, just just had to check in on that that status, the, the Stanford class, because I thought that was uh, kind of an interesting thing that you did. It's pretty cool that you were able to go in and, and talk to you know some young bright minds and teach them DFS a little bit. Are you worried that they're going to learn too much and get too good and and beat us at DFS? Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, that's anything in life, right? The next generation is always going to be sharper. It's going to be smarter. They're going to be well adapted, be more successful than us. And I think that's completely fine. I, that's why another reason why I love teaching kids. I, I was tutoring kids, high school, ACT, uh, high school math. And uh, I am completely fine giving back knowledge from what I learned. And if they can make it better, that's awesome. I think that's, you want the next generation to be better than yours. So you, it's just part of life. Right? I think yeah, that's great. you want to be, you want to be able to accept that and uh, don't want to hold any egos. And if a kid comes out of there, great success. And if he wants to give me credit, that's awesome. I'll, I'll really take, I'll take that to heart. So if I made that type of impact on someone, that'd be great. I appreciate that perspective. And that's, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm the same way. That's the reason I do content. I do a free show with, uh, with Jordan Cooper, just for the fun of it. Cause I like, I enjoy talking about this stuff and I enjoy teaching people and hope they can learn something from my process. So uh, I, I can definitely appreciate your perspective there. Um, and on that note, we've got several listener questions that I wanted to get to. I'll start with one from Beaufort DFS on Twitter asked, when do you know if you should do single entry only or be an MME player? I've had success at single entry, tried to do MME, and it's not panning out as well as I thought. Looking at results can be indicative, but also with the variability of DFS, are there ways to check your MME process? So when do you think uh, you know if you should just stick to single entry and not try MME? And are there things that you check to kind of figure out whether MME is working out for you? Well, there are great tools to backtest. I believe Lineup Rewind on Fantasy Cruncher is one way to backtest. 
but I never jumped from one to 150. I went from one to 11. I went one to 20, uh, 11 to 20. I really uh, grit and grinded my way through. So single entry is fine. You stick to your single entry, but you have to keep in mind on what your goals are. And the goals are pretty easy for one to say, I just want to make as money, as much as money as possible. Well, that's awesome. Now, how do you simplify that? Well, building one lineup, that's great. And see, see how you're doing, you're doing well. And I suggest moving up to the, the three entry max and try to build different lineups there and see how you're doing. Once you find success there, you go up to, uh, I believe there's five entry max. Sometimes there's lines, there's 11 entry max. But now I wouldn't do any of this if I, I would, if you're trying to, if you're a novice player, I would always try to play the beginner contest in any site, anything given. Uh, I think Yahoo's no veteran contest is great to play if you're a beginning player. DraftKings has beginner contests. Take advantage of those because the best way to be profitable quickly and like over more consistent period of time is playing softer opponents. And that's where you should be focusing majority of your bankroll, if not all your bankroll there. And that's something that I took me a year and a half. I was chasing the big one when I was in school. And then I scrolled back. I was like, let me try to beat these guys who are in like similar skill level as me. Uh, using our data and information is going to put your leg up on the field as is. And then be willing to adapt your process over time. Like my process this year, or even let alone in the month of March was not the same in February. It's always is evolved over time based on how the sport's changing or how data is changing and what, what's available to you. So take baby steps up. Don't jump too far in because like you said, results can be indicative and take, take a step back, learn from what you're doing and try to apply that on the next step over uh, step up as you uh, go up in higher, higher stakes. Let me take a moment away from this conversation with Rimpack to remind you to give us a like and subscribe so you can keep up with all of our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Be sure to also check out our monthly podcast giveaway. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Osmo username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. So I want to touch on one thing that you said. So you said that you uh, you would move on from like single entry to like a three max to a five max, whatever, move up in stakes that way. And you mentioned early on in the show that that was one way that you found uh, improvement. When you got better as a player, it was more about like contest selection and bankroll management, which are things that I don't think are really my strengths, if I'm being honest. Uh, and, and people have asked me like, uh, do you think it's okay to play five lineups in a contest that is a 150 max? And my answer is, that's how I started. Like I, I never really got into single entry or three max or 20 max, even when I was only playing three entries, five entries, 10 entries. I, I, did, I was the same way as you. I built up from, started with like a couple lineups and then eventually I'm building five and then 10 and then 20. Uh, but for me, it was always in the biggest field contests. Um, and it's not something that I've ever really, I never even really thought about like, am I putting myself at a disadvantage by playing 20 entries in a contest where other people can play? I mean, back when I started, probably people were playing 500, but now people could play 150. So do you think that that is a big disadvantage to be only playing five uh, entries in, in a contest where pe other people are MME in, or, um, you know, is that something that you would avoid? Would you say that, I mean, obviously if you can do the beginner contest, that's an edge just because beginners are not as good, but maybe once you're past that step, would you still avoid, you know, if you only have the, the bankroll for five entries, would you avoid playing the MMEs and just stick to like a five max? Uh, it's going to come down to your risk tolerance, right? So when I first started it, I, I wasn't, my bankroll didn't allow me to have a a risk tolerance like that. I was very content making $25, $30 a week extra. Now, let's say a lot of uh, a lot of our audience might have a nine to five where they're okay losing $100 a week. 
and or $100 a day or maybe $50 a day uh, where you're okay firing off two or three lineups in that big 150 max. And if you were to play that throughout a season, maybe you have a, a day you come into the top 10 just based on that. It's really hard, mm-hmm. but whatever DFS bankroll you have, you should be willing to lose all of it. Otherwise, just don't have that big of a bankroll, right? So uh, that's why I scaled down. And it, it just honestly is what your risk tolerance slash goals are. Okay. Now, if you want to do this like on a quote unquote profession, as ridiculous as it sounds, you want that upside, but I would start small and then scale up. Now, if you're doing this leisurely, I just want to make money when I things go right, then I would go with the five for five lineups in the match, max field and try to win big, like your lottery style ticket. Uh, so you got to know your risk tolerance, your goals, and have some perspective. It's DFS. You're going to lose more often than you win, but when you win, you want to make sure you win big. All right. I think that's good advice. I, I really, I like that advice. Uh, and also one of the things that I look at, uh, I use Roto Tracker to look at like how I do in different contests. So that's kind of how I, I figured out this past year that I'm like, holy shit, I'm doing really well in contests where it's $20 buy-in or less and horribly when it's more than that. So I've kind of limited, I still play some higher entry stuff because I can't help myself, but I've really limited the amount that I played when, after looking at Roto Tracker and figuring out maybe my edge isn't as good there. Maybe, maybe it's a smaller sample size too, but so far I haven't had the success. So I'm, I'm sticking to the larger field stuff. Is that something that you look at to figure out like, oh, I'm good at single entry contests versus large field and to figure out what kind of edge you have, or you think that it's uh, not, not something that you put a lot of I, I don't really in. try to focus too much on it. Uh, a lot of times it's going to come down to like, is Russell Westbrook going to get that triple double bonus? And it's just going to be like the difference between first and second. So I don't really focus too much on it. I, the goal is always trying to make lineups to come in first place and have as many potential lineups to come in first place. And that's all I try to focus on. So past results are great to just look back and take a look at just to see, especially for, for me in NBA, I'm content just the way I approach it. Other sports, maybe mm-hmm. I'll be like, all right, it's time to stop playing some, some NFL tiers contest where I'm just like, yeah, it's, this lineups are good and just losing to rake and I'll you'll just stop playing. Um, but I'll look at it here and there, but it's not something that I think it can help you with your contest selection. It's a great tool to just monitor how you're doing. Uh, keeping yourself in perspective with heaters and downswings, but nothing I don't think necessarily it's a process of where I'm looking at it. Okay. Oh, this, it went well today. Cause it could be a difference of one or two bad weeks or one or two good weeks where the numbers can change. Yep. That's very, at true. least for me now yep. it, it depends on everyone else's different playing style. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I find it can be useful to look at like your 1% buckets to see what, per, what proportion of your lineups you're getting is top 1% just to give you an idea of has something changed? Am I like, have I, have I lost my edge? Am I putting just 1% in the top 1% or am I still getting a good number in there on a downswing? It can be, it can be reassuring to kind of look at that kind of stuff sometimes. Um, and also. I, I don't look at the top 1%. I look at the top 0.1%. I, yeah, I, do yeah, think I look at can, that too. I think that is very important uh, in terms of large field tournaments. Yep. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between that, I think. Yep. Um, so like if you're building small field, one, 1%, like if you're a hundred, hundred man field, 1% is fine. Obviously if, that's going to get you, if you have a more lineup than the 1%. Now, if you're building like 30,000, 60,000 field, that 0.1% bucket is as important as it gets. Like, are you getting there a lot? And hopefully you are just because that'll give you the most, the chances to win over a long period of time and win big more often than not. Now, obviously variants can kick in and you'll have a bad day. Uh, things like that can happen where you're not coming first. Maybe you're coming fifth where 
like a rebound here or there is a difference between or like a touchdown here and there is a difference between a milli and a not. And I, I've been there. Yeah. It sucks. And it, just, it is what it is. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I agree. The point one percent is probably the best indicator. I, I look at both of them um, just because the point one percent, you know, you're, you're dealing with smaller numbers. So it gives you a little bit a larger number to look at the the one percent buckets. But yeah, I think that is that's a good point that that is the best thing to look at, probably. Um, so we, we kind of touched on this already with Buford's question, uh, but Carlos Gomez asked a more general question. What advice would you give to those who would like to play DFS seriously, but do not know where to start? So where, where would you recommend that a new DFS player starts? I would say not to play DFS. And uh, the reason why I say that, if you're in a legalized sports betting state, I would take advantage of all the deposit offers. And if your bank role allows you to deposit $1,000, I would do it, maximize these deposit bonus offers across the board, because in, obviously the difference between sports betting and DFS, DFS is peer-to-peer -peer sports betting is you versus the house. And one thing, just like a, on an aerial view perspective, in D, uh, well, maybe I'll answer this when we talk about the future, but looking at the sports betting perspective, your outcomes are binary, right? It's like yes or no. And looking, there's a lot of inefficient lines among player, player props, uh, Sometimes like if you get like the right side of the spread, just take advantage of those, get a bankroll there because you can build one much quicker and much more efficiently and potentially much not greater. Uh, you'll, you'll not get a greater ROI maybe playing a sports betting depending on like what types of bets you're doing, but get a bankroll there, building up those DF, uh, sports betting offers. Then I would go to like uh, these, like those player prop sites, like underdog has player prop uh, contests, price fix have player prop contests. Uh, Superdraft has player prop contests. I'd go there, build, get maxed out there, and then come to DFS. That's what I would do if I was a novice player now. And the reason why I do that, because these are, it's not peer-to-peer, -peer, it's to the house. And I know those lines can be efficient, but there are enough bad lines out there where you could make yourself uh, profitable more consistently over time than I think it is with DFS, because DFS, uh, the people are just rolling out such great lineups across all the sports nowadays. And that's how I'd approach it. And then come to DFS. I think by then you have a sustainable bankroll where you can still do the other stuff, but you're adding DFS as another portion of your portfolio. Okay. So I am going to actually rearrange our interview just a little bit because we, we haven't touched on your big win yet and, and your, your, uh, your, your favorite win in DFS. So I'm going to save that for the end of the interview. Now I thought we were going to touch on that earlier and we'd end with your future, but I want to, I want to jump right into your thoughts on the future of DFS. Cause you just kind of alluded to how good DFS has gotten and how, how good lineups have been. So I want to hear your opinion on that. Do you, do you have concerns about DFS not being a viable income source long-term? Do you think that this is something that uh, is going to run its course in the, uh, near future do you have concerns there um yeah has it passed my mind that yeah could i do this and not have to worry about uh going on linkedin and applying for other jobs yeah a little bit has uh i'm just riding the wave it's been it's been really good um dfs i, I personally think has plateaued i think we have seen what it is for example DraftKings last year had the they were the millimaker series they were missing 100 millimakers i'm not sure if they're doing it this year and like little things like that i've noticed where things are just a little more plateau. I think another thing I was potentially hoping as sports betting got legalized, that sports bettors would try out DFS. And I don't think that's happening as much. And it makes sense. Like your casual couch sports better, they get a yes or no uh, spread. That's more easy for them than to fill out this complicated math puzzle of eight different players, right? Like, that's just like, why? That's just too much. Uh, you're just exerting too much brain power to figure something out like that. Now, 
I'm sure there have been some sports bettors who have already been very good fantasy players in a short period of time. I'm sure that's happened. We just don't know who they are. I'm right. sure they're already there. But I do think uh, that that conversion hasn't been there as much. So I, I do think sports uh, DFS has plateaued. I think we are, this is what, what will the ecosystem be for at least maybe the next couple of years. Maybe we've already seen states swap their DFS eligibility for sports betting. I believe Oregon did that. Yeah. And it wouldn't shock me if more states do that. We saw Canada do that in Ontario. So yes, I, am I a little bit concerned? Yeah, I've also have been sports betting. I'm uh, trying to figure that out, learn that uh, just to give myself an advantage and another way to diversify my portfolio in yep. another aspect, which has gone well. Uh, I've all, and, but I know that's not forever because as books will limit you, uh, books have limited me, have, uh, I, I, it is what it is. So yeah, whatever it is, I'm, if you were to tell me DFS were to end tomorrow, I'm, I, yes, will I be sad? Yes, I'll be very sad that be more than enough. DFS changed my life and I'm very, very happy with my results and where I stand now. Yeah, and you say that it's plateaued, which if it has plateaued and it stays on this plateau for good, I think that we're fine because I mean, last year- I, I, most I don't of, know if it's for good. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's plateaued for now and we can hope that it lasts at this plateau for as long as it does, but uh, you, you obviously have concerns. I mean, you've mentioned that you have concerns about people getting good enough to where they're simulating contests after they've started and simulating the way that they're going to go after they know, you know, the ownership of the early locks and stuff like that. So For sure. you do have concerns that that's going to happen where. Another key point is this is peer to peer, but it's also peer to peer and rake, right? Yeah. There, there's a huge component in these large field tournaments where rake is, I don't know, 17, 18% keeps going up. Now, if they were to reduce rake, maybe it's more uh foreseeable future i hope they do obviously as a player i'm sure you do as well um, the amount of money we've lost to rake is a significant amount uh, over a long period of time so that's really important to keep that hindsight so i'm just i'm i'm willing to adapt to other things uh, uh so we'll see how it goes i'm just riding the wave it's been a ton it's been a ton of fun but if i if you were to ask me am i a lot closer to the end than the beginning and i think yes i think i'm a lot closer to the end than the beginning okay Sad. Okay. Well, well you, you are, uh, as I've said, the, the youngest guest that I've had on this show so far. Uh, I think you've got plenty of time for another career if you, if you want to take on another career. Uh, you, you've been doing content. You've been a guest lecturer uh, at, a at Stanford. Um, so you, you've got plenty of experience in front of groups of people. Is that something that you could see yourself doing? Do you see yourself becoming a content creator or getting into teaching somehow long-term? Or do you have some other, uh, any, any other kind of plan for if DFS does fall by the wayside. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com 
slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, I, I like to live on a day-to-day basis, and that's something that uh, long-term plans, we'll see. I'm very intrigued by the concept of venture capital and whatnot, so... I have dabbled myself in certain things like that. That's why I just want to learn a little bit more what else is happening in that world. Obviously, a potential looming recession might be in the book, so in the work. So I don't know how that's going to affect DFS price pools. I have no idea. So there's going to be less uh, leisure income being spent among people. I don't know how much that's going to affect. So I probably in the uh, this summer is probably where I need to think of what life might look like without DFS. Where should, what should I keep a backup where DFS has gone great. Don't get me wrong. I look at these starting salary jobs and I'd be like, damn, I, I would rather have James Harden give me the triple double bonus to win me that. than we'll listen to someone from a nine to five, but I, I just got to keep things in perspective where I know DFS isn't forever. It's not a sustainable social life for me. I'd like to be able to enjoy, go out, have fun with my friends. And it's not, you do sacrifice a lot. Uh, playing DFS. And I've sacrificed a lot. Luckily, a lot of my success happened during COVID where I didn't sacrifice too much. But nowadays, there are weekends where like my buddy had a bachelor party. I was like, I can't play DFS that much this week. I got to take a step back and enjoy this. And little things like that, I got to keep myself in perspective. And because if you don't, I do think you will get a mental dark cloud where it's just like not worth it. I mean, there are so many other things to do in life. And I know it's not forever. It's the perspective I'm going on. But in terms of future, I'd like to be involved in VC, but that can change. I maybe you see me more active in the back end of Austin, though that's potentially in the works, but uh, I got to sit down, hone in on what I really want. And it's a question I really don't know yet, but I, it has to evolve over time. That's fair. I, I'm, I'm a lot older than you are. I'm more than 10 years older than you are. And I still don't really know what my backup plan is if, if DFS doesn't last for forever. So I think it's fair to take it day by day uh, when, when things are still going well. Um, all right. I'd like to ask you a few listener questions. Uh, Richie G, who you and I both spent a lot of time with in Arizona, uh, good guy, asked a question. Do you uh, find any pride or joy in seeing new DFS players have high success or are high ROIs that you personally have given great advice to? Or is it more of a shit, I should have kept it to myself thing? No, I have, I have a ton of joy uh, seeing people who I've talked to personally. Richie being one of them, we chat a lot, uh, having success. I mean, I consider like your training wheels. You're like working with someone, training them, and then they take off and they do their thing. It's, it's great to see that success. More importantly, I love seeing when, when a buddy of mine does well, like Jake Anderson, when he wins, well, I love seeing like a buddy of mine do well. Cause Jake and I, well, we've been buddies through like slacks and discords for many years and you just see him do success. And uh, that, that's really awesome to see uh, slack members who you've worked with want hands on. And that goes to the stacks. Like I was like, yeah, DFS coaching has a negative connotation, but it's like, it's kind of intriguing in the one hand. And, uh, but it's the thing it's like, it's variance. It's going to come down to that one lucky day, two lucky days. So we don't know. I'm all about people are going to, 
I think over time, people are just going to figure it out. And we were already seeing the nature of that. And if you help someone out and they appreciate you and a, maybe you get a friendship and B, or they just happy and you just get good karma, hopefully down the line. All right. I like that. Um, all right, moving on. We, we got a question from Jordan. This is not a Jordan that uh, it's not Jordan Klein. Uh, and I don't know what he's referencing here. So I'll hope that you do. He asked me to ask you if JT was short. <laughs> so I, I'm a Michigan fan. Obviously I went there for undergrad and grad school. He's talking about JT Barrett. Okay. Uh, there was a controversial call and yes, JT Barrett was short. Uh, okay. So it cost Michigan to go to the college football playoffs that year. So sore subject, but yeah, JT was short for the record. I'm glad to know that you knew what he was talking about. I was like, should I even ask this if I have no idea what the context is? It's kind of kind of risky to ask a question not knowing the context, but I'm it's glad funny. It was. You asked me about like my sports fandom. The only fandom I really have right now is just like Michigan sports doing well. And if the other okay. sports, like, yeah, I just let it go, like, let go of biases, emotional attachment, just because of DFS. It's probably the main reason why I let go of them. It's like, I don't care for my uh, personal sports team that much anymore. I'd rather come first in the contest than if my sports team wins. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, you and I talked about this when I was in Arizona. You made fun of me a little bit because I told you that uh, my brother uh, teaches at <laughs> U University of Michigan, and I could not tell you what it was. Uh, and speaking of having jobs that you can't explain to other people, I, I've talked about it with him several times, and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of, it's above my head. It's science -y stuff. Let's not get into it. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so so there's that Michigan connection. Um, all right, we got, we got several questions from Tony on Twitter and I'll just go one by one. He asked, what is your favorite thing to do to unwind? Favorite thing to do to unwind? Like just the, like in life? Yeah, so in life. Life. Uh, I'm an only child. So I really value like uh, social hangouts with my friends. Uh, joy, a uh, big rooftop bar person. I love going to rooftops. That's my, that's my vibe. Uh, I love doing high intensive interval training during uh, before COVID. I was like four to five times a day, but after COVID my a whole like uh, physical uh, exercise routine has been up and down. We've now, I believe, gone from a pandemic to an endemic. So yep. that's the next thing. My focus is getting back into a physical shape again. Uh, so that's kind of how I unwind. That's my, uh, that's my thing. Uh, I really enjoy right. meeting new people, uh, going back, like connecting. I love meeting other DFS players to see what they're doing outside of DFS. I'm always very curious uh, on seeing how that ends up going. All right, so so that's uh let's jump in there and I'll I'll get back to Tony's questions. But uh, you you've had some success at live finals. You've had kind of a lot of success at live finals. You've been uh and and you made it to several. And then you and I got to spend a lot of time together in Arizona. You actually uh went in uh, Alex's stead. Alex couldn't make it, so he sent you. And uh, I was disappointed that Alex couldn't make it. And then I was also had a lot of good had a really fun time with you. So that was uh, uh I enjoyed talking DFS with you and other DFS players. Is that something that you seek out? Like, is that part of the reason that you seek out? live final events i mean obviously it's the, the the huge prize pools at live finals but is it also that it's just you like the experience yeah so f ironically enough so uh 2017 i guess i had my first live final experience when i crashed it uh, i was 22 at a time but i was like oh open bar so maybe i had one too many cocktails at the open bar but not only that i think that live final was key because i met alex and tom that live final then couple of years later, I got absolutely destroyed at an open bar. And then I had to tone things down. I was like, it was my final weekend in Chicago. And I was just like having my own farewell tour with everybody there. So it was, uh, it's a live final for me. I've had more fun when I've attended as a guest or no lineup on the line. It's just like, you don't have to worry about anything. You just enjoy uh, meeting people, the open, usually the open bar, the food is uh, more times than not pretty good. And more than not, just meeting like-minded people, having similar interests is uh, second to none at these events. 
I didn't really try aggressively trying for live finals. I tried one in um, 2019 for the 2020 NBA championship. I got there on a single bullet. I only spent $20 to get in. COVID canceled it. I was devastated when I found out the NBA season was canceled on March 11th, 2020, because the NBA live final was on March 14th of 2020. And I was like, I was like devastated. I was like, I was going to win with this. And they like cashed out a ticket. I was, I was really upset. I was out in LA. And then I didn't really try for a live finals till the following year where I was like, I built up like a bankroll where I was like, okay, I'm going to be willing to spend this much on live finals. Cause I know how much they cost. I did really well. Every live final I attended, I came in the top seven in all of them, but one. And the one I didn't was when Lamar Jackson sprained his ankle uh, in the live final. So I've done really well when I've gotten there. So where it's made up for whatever price, but for me, it's uh, the people who I've met, I've really enjoyed. I've really uh, been able to meet awesome people, people who have been much more successful than I have, people who count money in commas. So it's uh, definitely a ton of fun meeting like-minded people. Yeah. Uh, it's Success is great, but I really enjoy uh, understanding more importantly what they are doing outside of DFS because it takes up a lot of time, but they also have other, uh, other jobs, sometimes other goals that they have other things that they're invested in. I'm really curious on what these people are doing because you can connect to, to, connect to them uh, differently. And DFS players perceive life a lot different than the average human. So our conversations are much more fluid and yeah. we can go back and forth uh, with each other. So you are typically talking, I mean, you like talking about things outside of DFS, but you are typically talking with the DFS players. So that's a, a difference between you and that stunner who I had on uh, a couple of weeks ago. He was saying that he likes to go to the live finals and talk with the guests more. So he's like, the, he, he enjoys talking to the guests of the DFS pros. Uh, it sounds like you enjoy talking more so with the DFS. I mean, you can obviously enjoy talking with both, but uh, yeah. you find I, I enjoy just, yeah. yeah, I just, I'm just more of a social person. That's why yeah. COVID for me was like, Dang, I miss meeting people and uh, the live finals. I think going back to them, where they're a ton of fun just to meet people and uh, it just talking about different things. Uh, sometimes, I mean, so obviously there's a DFS core subject that, but when you talk about other things, right, right. hearing their insight is really helpful. I mean, at the end of the day, you really are not going to know the person's process. It's just like they have their own unique process that's made them successful. And if you try to mimic it, you probably won't be as successful as them just because they have different things that they do. So Right. I don't really try to delve into people's processes that much. Maybe we'll talk about things a little bit here and there, but yeah. outside of that, it's just the conversation of meeting like-minded people. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, you and I spent a lot of time together along with uh, my wife, your friend V, and we didn't really talk DFS all that much. So I think we, we touched on it here and there, but it was definitely not a huge part of our conversation. And, you know, we were hanging out with Richie G and hanging out with, uh, hanging out with Eric Hoffman, DFS Hofbrau King, <laughs> for, kind of forming our own little clicks some of those nights. Uh, that, that was a really good time just sitting, you yeah. know, being, being able funny to you bring up, Funny you bring up V. He's, uh, he's seen like the come up of my DFS journey from uh, like living in that living room, uh, in that apartment with him, seeing like the success. And I felt like I, I was like, I wanted to bring him out to one of these uh, events and uh, he had a great time. He loved golfing at TPC. So that was, uh, he was oh, nice. a big golfer. So it's, it's fun to like take your friends out to these and like, not all my friends understand what's happening, but the ones that my inner circle, I just want to be like, it's just like come out for a week and it'll be a good time. So uh, I've been fortunate to take out some of my good buddies who've seen the come up and I appreciate a lot. So uh, it, yeah. these events are a ton of fun. They yeah. put on a great event at that 
tournament. So I was really happy Alex won a million maker to send me out there. So how would that, uh, how would you say the tournament of champions experience compared to other live finals, like, you know, basketball finals or other finals that you've been to? Is it, is it a very different experience? Different experience because of the crowd, but okay. the experience of the excursions were second to none. They were by far the best okay. all put together event, uh, in terms of excursions, experience, um, everything was awesome planning. So that was by far, you probably have went to the best one that I've been to. I'm sure there've been some great ones in years past. It was different because of the crowd there. Uh, yep. There is not your typical crowd of like, yep. on the other live finals, uh, you're like seeing the same live final people over and over again. You see your Hosta boss, you see your uh, B, uh, BK Kreider, uh, and you see Chipotle Attic, Papa Gates, Giant Squid, all those household names, uh, Squirrel Patrol, those guys are always there. Austin was there. This one was different. These are guys who won the Millie Maker. And like, sometimes they are not household names. And there were some, yeah. but not all of them were like the household names you see at other events. Yeah, it's kind of what I imagine. I mean, it was, and it was even more so the year before. So that's the only live final that I've ever been to is of course the Tournament of Champions, uh, which is kind of funny. Yeah, right. It's but it's the only one I've ever been to. I've I've tried for some of the other ones, but it's uh, especially the first year. It was a few pros, but mostly just like people who who won the Millie Maker, and they're just doing a single entry or a few entries here and there. They're not really the most serious DFS players. It was actually it, it was more this year. There were more serious DFS players, I thought. And then of course I was hanging out with you. You're obviously a a, a serious DFS player, so I, I thought it was a higher proportion of very serious DFS players this year. But yeah, relative to like I see the list of names in like the NBA Live Final, and it's like. 80% people that I recognize, like I, I know who these guys are. So it seems like that's more of a, you get like all the great DFS minds together in one place kind of thing at, at the other live final event. So I can see how that would be fun if that's, if you enjoy, you know, meeting those kinds of people. Yeah. And uh, like, I fortunately meet them multiple times, great conversations. And uh, that's just how live finals are and people tend to have fun. It's a, it's a great, I guess, networking event in a way, just meeting you're meeting the guy face behind the username that either is beating you or you're beating them like over and over again. It's just how the, how, how the, uh, how it goes. So yep. live finals are a ton of fun to meet people who have similar interests as you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and especially you, I mean, that's how you met uh, Alex. And, and so it kind of ended up leading to kind of a part of your, part of your career at least and getting you more invested in DFS. All right. Uh, so we, we, we kind of got off track there answering these listener questions. Uh, so go, getting back to Tony's questions, he was kind of curious about uh, downswings and like your, your mindset during downswings and what kinds of things you do to uh, kind of assess a downswing, whether it is uh, something that are, you, you have concerns about it being ongoing versus like, okay, I recognize that downswings happen. Obviously they happen for everybody. And he also wanted to know uh, what's the lowest you felt on a downswing mentally. Yeah. So uh, that's a, that's a great question. So, so the re this kind of goes back to like when I was moving up in stakes um, on DK on DraftKings and FanDuel on FanDuel, you can play up till the $3 contest until you have, I believe $70,000 in profit. And once you pass that, you are not allowed to play anything, the $2 or the $1 or anything less than that. So I kept playing those and playing those until I passed that. And I kept on DraftKings. Once you pass the million dollar entry total fee with entries paid, you can no longer play anything, with, I believe, with a, I forget, it's like a, some, a certain prize pool amount, like in like a dollar amount. Like I can't play anything $3 and below on DK unless the prize pool is greater. So, but until that point, I had never had a, I never had back-to-back -back losing months until I passed. Wow. So I didn't, 
this is like something that I was just like, just shows how much like if you were to scale your process properly, I never had back-to-back losing months. The first time I had back-to-back losing months was, I want to say, I think last April. And I think it was during the Russell Westbrook explosion. Uh, I just had back-to-back losing months where I just was like Russell Westbrook was exploding and I was consistently under the field to him, bad process. Looking back at it, I was just trying to get too cute with ownership at times. So and then that was last year. And then I recovered from that really quick with a great like opening uh, weekend in NFL. But from week two or week three to all the way, I think, uh, King of the Beach, I just went on this epic downswing that I had never faced before. Uh, there was no other sport besides NFL. I was getting smacked across the head with showdown, smacked across the head with any sort of contest. I was just getting destroyed in this massive downswing where to the point where Leading up to the NBA season, I think I took 20 days off. I think I like sporadically, like by 20 days off, I was just playing like uh, two or three lineups or I was just only playing on one site where I just needed to reset. I had some plan. I, I went to California to reset. I, I uh, went to G- uh, Professor Kim's class. I went to Eric Lindquist's wedding where I was like, all right, this is a good reset before I have a couple big uh, like live finals coming up. And then I finished December pretty strong. Ironically, I came back from the Lamar Jackson sprained ankle and had a massive Monday. So thankfully that made up for the uh, disappointment there. And it's pretty sobering when you see your quarterback at a live final, just sprayed his ankle. And when you have like really good players across the board everywhere else. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. Laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And it's just perspective. I knew a downswing was going to happen. And I also knew uh, my heater that I had in the NBA 2020 bubble was never going to be repeated again. I just was living like, uh, I don't know, a Jay-Z lifestyle where like I just was doubling my money on a weekly basis. I knew that was not going to happen again. So I had the perspective and the mindset where like things can go bad, but how do you like keep yourself level-headed? And I've had ups and downs since then. And I think that's more of like it. I just went on a massive heater and like low stakes and then a heater to start off like in like when I was MMEing, but I know what things are like. And another thing that has helped offset my downswings is uh, sports betting and player props. I've done uh, pretty well on them. So that has helped me offset things here and there. I just, I just keep the study course. I, I feel like my process and intuition is there to keep me on the right swing of things. And yeah, downswings are part of the game. Uh, part of the game. You just hope they're not too, uh, too deep. Yep. That, that's just, yeah, sound, sounds just right. And that's pretty nice to, to be able to offset it with your, your sports betting and stuff. So you just don't really have downswings is what I'm hearing. No, it, it's, it's not, it, uh, you do have downswings. You're going to have losing days. Uh, there, are, there are certain things that just make it annoying when the downswings are happening where stack correction here or there. I've had some brutal stack corrections over the past couple of months where 
it's knocking me out of first, which is like, that's kind of awful because first to second is a big difference. Yeah. Yep. First place is pretty much everything I shoot for. So, uh, but you got to keep yourself level headed for every good beat. You'll have a bad beat. And I just try to ride the course and ride the wave for as long as this is around. Yep. So you're just, just have an understanding that it's going to happen and, you know, have, have that understanding and you can write it out. Uh, that's kind of what I do too. And don't get me wrong. When I was in lower state, when I was like first playing like one lineup, it would suck to lose one lineup five days in a row. It just would yeah. suck. Like, yeah, oh no. yeah, granted, if I'm playing only like two or three bucks a day, I was like, that sucked. I was like not even like making anything. This sucks. Cause like at then you just don't have much, uh, Rick's tolerance, your bank is bank is very dry, very low and can't play with much, but if you and you're still along, putting in the effort. You're still putting in, you know, hour, a couple hours every day to try to make it work. So it's still frustrating when you, when you don't win. I remember those days well of just having not that much money at stake, but it's still just, it wears on you to, to not win over a period of time. Several for days sure. in a row. And I was also the same guy in the Slack discord asking QQs to the live before locker. So like, I know the one V one, two V two questions. I've been that person asking them before. So nice. I understand when Chad is asking those questions, how meaningful and how valuable those answers can be. So it's uh, really sometimes where I just, you know, I couldn't afford a subscription when you, when you start off really low and you got to yep. build yourself up to something like that. Yep. That makes sense. All right. A couple more questions from some familiar faces before we close it out uh, with my with my favorite win question. Uh, first, we got a question from Eric Lindquist asking, who is your favorite co-host on the Slate Starter podcast and why is it Duke? Uh, Duke's uh, been a great addition to the Slate Starter podcast. And shout out to Eric Lindquist, uh, someone who I really had to convince to give a shot to doing this. Uh, he's someone that I met, uh, I believe, in the Fanvice Slack Discord in, like, I want to say 2016, like, uh, we talked here and there and we became friendly over time. And he told me that he was an actor, did acting work. And then we had kept in touch and he, I told him, Hey, I'm starting working at Osmo. I think you can always write for us if you ever wanted to. Cause I knew he was a really good writer mm-hmm. and he doesn't get to write as much anymore, but he, uh, I, he's by far one of the best writers out there uh, in terms of content. And I was like, just give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, no hard feelings. You can go on, go back to what you're doing. He gave it a shot during COVID, kind of the slate starter. I kind of like asked uh, Nolan Kelly. He's like, hey, can we try this out? If it works out well, the best thing you can get out of is another great host who can do all sports. And he's ran with it. He's put in a lot of work. And it's a ton of fun doing that show at night. And Eric, uh, Eric's uh, come a long way in terms of just doing everything across the board in terms of sports. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky enough to get to work with Eric once a week. And I was during NFL season two. So always fun to, to work with Eric. I don't get to do it every day like you do. And I, I have yet to work with Duke, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Eric's fun to work with too, I guess. Um, <laughs> another another familiar name, Jordan Klein asks you, uh, who is your favorite Jewish slash Filipino coworker? It's not Jordan Klein for sure. No, definitely yeah, not it's got to be somebody else. Yeah, Jordan Klein, spoiled man. He lives a great life out in California. Awesome guy, great producer. Uh, it's got. It's not Jordan Klein. I'll tell him that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Now, now he knows. He shouldn't ask that question again. All right. Uh, so we've alluded to it. Uh, your, your favorite win uh, that you you had a big win. Your, your first big win, I believe, you were telling me uh, was a really fun one. Uh, but just maybe it's not that. Tell me to close it out uh, about your favorite win in DFS and or your favorite DFS win celebration. Yeah. So. Let's fast forward to, I think, May 29th or May 30th, 2019. All right. Uh, I think a couple of days before that, uh, CEO Tom, uh, Tom Kennedy, plays by Tom JK321. 
he asked me, he's like, hey, Ryan, do you want to ho- uh, do a show with Eddie Fear on the NBA Live before lock? And I was like, wow, I was like, that's a tough task. Finals, NBA Finals, game one. At the time, this was the biggest contest DraftKings and FanDuel had ever run for a showdown in single game in their history of NBA showdown single game. And I was at, up until this point, I was accumulating tickets uh, for these contests, especially on FanDuel. I accumulated 60 satellite tickets for their contests at the time. And this is uh, 30th. And I'm in the process of obviously working with them part-time. And I, I was very friendly with Eddie and Eddie was very welcoming and obviously accepting of me to, to do the show with him. And uh, a lot of people who've seen Eddie over the years, uh, people have connected with him and uh, he's been a, and I saw a friend of mine, a great mentor, helped me get into the DFS industry space. So pretty grateful for what he did. And we did the show together. But on that same day, I also got accepted to grad school in Michigan. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. I got accepted to grad school and then I'm going to do a show in a couple hours. And I, I told some of my friends that I'm doing this show who have known that I was pretty into DFS. So they're pretty thrilled to watch me. So I host a show, my first show. It's game one of the finals, big contests. And I'm pretty nervous. I was uh, drinking a ton of water on the show. I just generally drink a lot of water throughout the show. And it's when your first show, it is very hard. It, people, our talent makes it make it seem so easy how the shows are, but it is a hard task to do in the beginning because mm-hmm. you don't know how much you were like talking, where you want to talk, where you should cut people off or when you want to say. And everyone in chat wants to hear um, McCoy speak at the time, but I was like definitely giving my thoughts as well. And fast forward that night, Alex and a lot of the Chicago players were meeting up at a bar um, at the time in uh, Chicago on Kinsey Street. And I had just finished up the show, entered my lineups. They're all watching game one together. And at this table, this is probably a pretty uh, pretty high roller table. You have Alex and Osmo, you have Tom JK, you have Brick 75, Sean Zahn, Papa Gates, and Evan Silva was there. And then there's me, the scrub, who's just a young 20-year-old just coming off doing his first show. And everyone is very, very nice to me. And Brick was awesome. It was a nice show. And the night goes on. It's a great game one. It's the uh, Warriors versus Raptors. And I, uh, this was the weirdest sweat was, I've never had a five-figure win up until this point. I'm like looking at my phone here and there. And the one thing about everyone that, that table is no one looks at their phone which blows my mind at this time like i'm always looking at my phone refreshing results and it just blows my mind because the amount of you know, volume that they're playing is surreal right it's not real to anyone but and at the end of the third quarter and i see my phone i'm like oh i'm in first place this is kind of wild if i was by myself i'd be like pacing back and forth but i have to be at a table where first place to them is any day that ends in y and like right. i just gotta control control myself and compose myself and then and in showdown, it's really hard to maintain first, but that was a hold sweat. I, I stayed in first on FanDuel from the start of the fourth quarter all the way to the end of the fourth quarter. I didn't move fast wow. from first and second. And uh, there you go. That was my first biggest win. And I had to hold myself, my emotions in check because I'm with people who have done this numerous times. Like, this is nothing to them. This is like, and I was like so thrilled in, inside of me. So I just like, I just had to act like I'd been there before, even though I had it. Did you and tell them? Did they know that you were sweating first place? Like, I mean, I, I told them after, their phones? Okay. at the after the show, and then we all got a bunch of round of tequila shots. Uh, it was a ton of fun, and and at, at, in my mind, I was like, wow, that just really happened. I like it doesn't. You never get a win with the guys that you've always seen win, and yeah, my first five figure win. And I noticed my perspective, like I guess life changed at the moment. 
going from like a few thousand dollars in your bank to $50,000 is a big difference from, let's say, going from a couple hundred thousand dollars to like a million dollars. It's just a massive, like yeah. having going not going nothing to having so, like something to like sustain. And I just got into grad school. I was like, oh, this is going to help pay for majority <laughs> of grad school, if not all. And then in my head, I was like, I'm just going to enjoy this. It didn't really hit me till I, funny enough, I believe a brick and I took uh, Uber because he was living in like the similar area as me chatted. And I was like, I was in my house like, damn, I, he was congratulating me. It was a great, like, for me, I'll forever remember that day. It's like, oh, yeah. that's like the step well, sign to success. How, how much was that win? Was uh, that five I think, figures? I think it was uh, 57 or 58. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that'll do. So it was a split, I assume? Yeah, split three ways. Yeah. Nice. And uh, that would have been life-changing for me. And and I was like, in my head, I was like, all right, now i got the bankroll. I've always thought if I had a bankroll, I could be successful. And then I had some, I played baseball a little more successfully in that summer. Uh, things took off in that fall and I, I've never looked back since. And yeah, the uh, rest is history. The rest is history. So it's a great, a great, uh, for me, that I'll always remember that day. It's better than any other win. I've had some much more significant uh, wins then, but that first one, well, you always hold uh, pretty close to you. And, uh, and uh, those, a lot of those guys I consider friends and we hang out and Alex and Tom, if it weren't for Tom to give you given the opportunity, I don't think, I don't think majority of my success happens. I think I'm probably in some like, I don't know, hospital working or in, maybe in medical school. Who knows? I, I have no idea. So I'm really great. No, this wasn't before. You had already started with Awesome at this point. Yeah, okay. but I think if I don't start working at Awesome, I don't take DFS to be like, like I don't take it as serious. I, I think I'm more of a casual player, uh, more. And maybe it happens, you never know, but pretty grateful for the opportunity that they gave. And I just, uh, been, it changed my life. And just and it's been a great story. And I ran with it, have, have been able to experience and enjoy life a lot differently since then because uh, of that. And it's great to keep coming in first. And I always tell people, if you want to win, you try to make lineups to come in first place. So that's good advice. Like, I think come in first place. Yeah. That's uh, it seems so simple when you yeah. put it like that. Uh, I mean, that that's an amazing story though. Like I, I didn't know what the story was going to be your, your, your first win story, but that's uh, about yeah, as good I, as it gets being the underdog at a table like that, where everybody's just a major heavy hitter. And for you to be kind of the, the one guy who isn't at that point is pretty fun that you were able to pull out your first huge win. And the, I think also doing my first ever show, uh, we just yeah. made like the ice, like cherry on top. And then, coming back people like it's really nice when uh, youtube chat loves you versus youtube chat hating you and yep. you know I, I know what the hate feels like on the first show and i know what the love feels like so it was a great turnaround and it's just like constantly people just obviously live in the moment so looking back at it i was like it was really surreal it didn't hit me till i got home and woke up the next day and like i was like yo that happened and i could really uh uh and that that was like my final summer in chicago and uh, the rest i just been grinding it out we'll see how how much longer we play uh it's been a, it's been a great ride so but to say that i'd ever be in the top 10 even after that i never thought i would I, yeah I, I swam around in the top 10 for a little bit fell back and i'm pretty content with everything my results and, when, you, when you say the top 10 do you mean like in the roto grinders overall rankings yeah i, I, I see that you're right there i i think the highest i got to was seven and then I believe Whistles Go Woo became a monster and just like yeah. knocked me out. But no, uh, I, I knew I was not going to be able to sustain because like the volume I play is not high. Like I don't play the high stakes consistently enough to sustain like the volume to be there. But I, I, was, I was on a pretty massive heater when I ended up being there. So yeah, it, uh, it is what it is. But 
for anyone who's like, uh, I think the, the best thing that I did was never give up. I think I, I definitely believed in myself along the way. And there were some times where you do want to quit, just uh, ride with it. Yeah. So you, you say that uh, YouTube chat was kind of giving you a little bit of shit there then uh, in, in your first show, the one that oh, ultimately sure. was yeah, the show that you like, wanted, yeah. they, were, they were like, yeah. oh, we don't want to hear from this guy. We want to, we want to hear from Fast Eddie Fear. Yeah. And then and, uh, okay. and, uh, he has kind of a cult following and he, yeah. he knows that. And and rightfully so. He's been doing, he had earned that credibility over time. But right. I also need to establish some credibility on my end. And I think winning uh, has established that. Everybody loves a winner. As the mountain goes, everybody loves a winner. Yeah. Uh, and listening to people who win is pretty valuable, I'd say. And did, did you also, uh, did you win with the picks that you told people to play, the, the guys that you told people, or were, or were you holding back the good plays on your first no, show? No, I, I believe, I, I don't think, I, I believe I brought out the different scenarios and I, I do I know the lineup in my head that won so yeah it went Siakam MVP Curry in the uh, uh star spot uh the pro spot was Kawhi Leonard and then uh it went Danny Green Marcus Saul so I know the lineup that won it just okay well and then I then I remember my first six, six figure lineup the other lineups I don't remember but the first big ones that the stepping stones I, I do remember to heart Okay. I was making a joke, obviously. I know that you weren't withholding picks from people. That's no, just I'm the accusation about that people make. Yeah, I, especially yeah. on the slate starter. The guys I mentioned, I do play them. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rinpak, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Rinpak. That's R-Y-N-P-A-K. Uh, my DMs are not open. If you do want to send me an email, I will respond to you an email. You can email me at R-A-Y-E-N at awesome.com or R-A-Y-E-N-P at gmail.com. I will respond in email if you do send me an email. Um, if you do uh, need to get me on Twitter, I will follow you and DM you for sure. I'm happy to have a conversation. Uh, but that's uh, you can. I'm not too hard to get a hold of. You can find me on the Osmo Discord as well. And you like talking DFS, so uh, people should not not be afraid to reach out if they have questions for you. Oh yeah, I'd love to uh, talk about DFS and if any uh, questions about. Uh, any sport not any sport the major sports i'm happy to talk about with you right on all right well thanks again to rinpak for joining me on episode 11 of high stakes and to mike lawrence for producing as always you can find episode 12 of high stakes next friday at 8 p.m eastern on the osmo youtube channel or wherever podcasts live have a great weekend see you later saver whether you're saving for that trip to the tropics or saving for an emergency now is the time to take advantage of wells fargo savings options wells fargo offers savings accounts that can help you save towards your goals so what are you saving for visit a wells fargo branch or wellsfargo.com backslash save to open a savings account today wells fargo bank na member fdic Wells Fargo presents one of the surest ways to grow your money. A Wells Fargo CD account, where you can earn a 5.00% annual percentage yield on an 11-month term with a minimum opening deposit of $5,000. 
Visit a Wells Fargo branch or wellsfargo.com backslash CD rates to open a CD account and start growing your savings with us. Wells Fargo Bank, N.A., member FDIC. 